two wizards. Two wizards? Two wizards. Two wizards. So, Mark, we, 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 are, we kind of find ourselves in this sort of weird uh, between the seasons, the cusp. It's not quite... Yeah, like we're not quite out of winter. We're not quite in the spring yet. Like you were just saying, and I think we've done pretty good so far. About staying away from using talking about the weather is our cold open. <laughs> That's the um, cold open. Yeah, like a whole season. I'm proud. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Like, hey, I, you hear this? It is, man. That's my. That's me. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but right, because because like you just had a snowstorm. Uh, uh, we had like some nice, dare I dare 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 I say spring ish weather, and then we're gonna get some more snow. Oh damn! And whenever we have, whenever it is, it's that sort of transition from one season into the other um man i get a hankering to play either something like a harvest moon or a stardew valley or mm. um, just right because it is because that's that's a whole thing the like kind of life sim farming sim thing uh uh and i i had seen this one um this is a new one and i think it's still technically early access I don't know if it's a full finished game yet, but but you can kind of play play it early on, on Steam. Um, and man, I've been sinking a lot of time into that recently. Uh, but it's called Dinkum, as in like it's... the okay. Australian phrase uh, "fair Dinkum." Okay, yeah, okay. And it's ba- yeah, and it's basically like Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley set in Australia, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's so really? fun. It's so fun, yeah, because you like roll up on your island or whatever, and uh, yeah, like the dirt is all that red oxidized uh, iron rust kind of thing, and and they have like little cutesy plays. Like instead of kangaroos, they're called jackaroos, so they're like <laughs> jackalope and kangaroo, mm-hmm. and they have little antlers and stuff. It's great. Um, there's crocodiles everywhere. These goddamn crocodiles you have to fight. <laughs> All of the other like NPC characters tell you good day. It's amazing. It's so, it's so much fun. So, so yeah, I've been playing playing the bejesus out of that. Um, right on. Have not had any dingoes to take my babies. <laughs> but they're there. They're just kind of like They're flopping there. around. Yeah, the dingoes are just hanging out. <laughs> what do you plan this on your computer? Uh yeah, so the, so the, the, it's on it's on PC. I'm sure it'll, it'll eventually get a console release. Um but specifically I have the Steam Deck. Um the sort of oh, like okay. the like portable kind of like a Nintendo Switch but a little bit bigger. So so yeah, like um uh the Mrs. Wizard, she'll be playing the Switch, she'll be playing a game, I'll be playing Dinkum. And Quincy will just like flop down on on my chest and say, "No, pay attention to me, Josh. <laughs> oh. Don't worry about those cassowaries that are chasing after you, <laughs> son of bitch cassowaries, chase you halfway across the map." Um. <laughs> Listeners, go back to our giant bird attacks episode. Yeah, go back to our tri- cassowaries. Yeah. yeah, and I I consider myself better prepared having gone through that episode. <laughs> Because you know to just run off a cliff and jump into the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> oh man. So yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, right on. How how about you? Have have you like been doing any any sort of things to like kind of help you get through the doldrum? Well, but then again, right? We, that's also our thing is. We want the cold weather, and we, you and I want like the cold weather and the snow. So maybe instead of like passing the time or waiting for the sea, is, is there anything that's you've been kind of taken up to help you like prepare for the onslaught of spring and then summer and sweating constantly? Um, kind of, yeah. I, I started lifting again. Um, and oh, I'm almost nice. embarrassed to share this, but I. I need to get it off my chest and what, you know, guys will literally start a podcast before they do therapy. So prepare to therapize <laughs> me, Josh. Okay. Um, man, I think I am down with the family and I'm one of the homies. I've been listening to fucking ICP like crazy and I cannot tell you why. Yes. Let's go, dude. <laughs> let's go. I fucking love Great Malenko. Holy shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's also I that meme. Oh man, I don't know what that means. I don't know why everybody's so why everyone hates Juggalos so much. I almost want to like get you and me and Johnny and our fourth member of our Wizard mm-hmm. Tower yeah. together and like go to a fucking gathering. Like, oh god, because I mean, it can't it be much. Be... Like, yeah. yeah, no, I it, well, it's it is also the meme of yeah the like two girls like one's on a treadmill, one's toweling off, and they're like, oh wow. Look at the look at that guy lifting. I wonder what what music he's listening to. The other girl says, "Oh, it's probably something like like heavy metal or like acid metal or something like that." And then there's like the Chad, right? The the like yes Chad, and it, and it's like AirPods or whatever. And then you insert whatever music you want. So yeah, the insane clown posse. That's it. <laughs> I. I don't know if I'm embarrassed or if I'm, like, realizing who I am as a human. I don't know. But, like, man, the fucking line, last night a genie gave me three wishes. Later that night, I fucked three fat bitches. I I can't. That's fucking spitting lyrical heat. Like, this, it's, it's not Digbar. We're, like, Digbar, I had no right. business listening to it. Like, and I still right. loved it unironically. Still love it unironically. But, mm-hmm. like... This I'm like God. I I I think I told you the day that I was listening to um uh, Big Dick Randy and my Bluetooth headphones cut out and I had to like quickly like silence my phone singing about he's big and black he will take your candy and like that was embarrassing and I was had to kind of explain to my boss like yeah I don't know whatever you know and like but now I'm like oh my God if like fucking anybody hears me playing ICP they're gonna call me like Juggalo Jones or something horrible or. Or start, like, walking down the fucking hall, like, whooping at each other. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but, you know, it's still a business, so probably not the right. best idea. Yeah, true. Well, so, from what I understand you saying, Mark, because, like, okay, so me kind of recently, like, venturing out into into the outback, getting away from civilization, sounds like you're also kind of uh, turning away from the more refined life in the 21st century it sounds like both of us are wanting some sort of yeah some sort of primal ruthless um dare i even say barbarian dare 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 well that's the second you gotta quit doing that i know i know i know i did that it's my fault it's leaking in a dangle podcast i think it's pissing johnny off because i keep doing it (laughs) well that that is all right because we are here to I think yeah to to keep to 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 continue that uh, just on Twitter the other day I was posting that uh, I was watching the Northmen again with Quincy yes and we're yes. gonna go um, yeah uh, 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 nourish the bones of our ancestors 
by doing righteous battle with um, wicked men. And that's what we're going to do today here on the Two Wizards Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's great to have you once again. My name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I am down with the family. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yes, welcome back. Here we are again. We are up in our wizard's tower on this, I am going to call it, on your end too, a probably miserable winter day. The, the wind here is like, it's better than 40 miles an hour. Like, my mic is picking it up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, if I just like, you know, have room tone, I, it, it like picks up the spikes. It's it's amazing. But like... Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do not, do not miss that at all. Like, yes, the winters here get cold. And uh, more snowfall uh, than there in the San Luis Valley. But the wind... Oh, man. I'm so glad to be out of that goddamn wind. <laughs> oh, it's the I, worst. You know, I, I spent a lot of my childhood on the Eastern Plains. And it's windy out there, too. And it's like 80 mm-hmm. miles just all the damn time. That's just what it does. But somehow yeah. that wind isn't as bad as this wind. Like, yeah, I, it's, I, it's amazing to me. It is. It is. It's... I I can't even really describe it. I it is it, it's just something you just you just get you just get sick of it. Um, but so so, what if we turn to um, what we have in our wizards' cups? Because yes, as this wind is blowing, it's like wrecking your voice. It's drying you out, and so it's important to stay, um, if not hyd- hydrated, at least lubricated. So, Mark, what is in <laughs> what is in your wizards' cup? Well, Josh, it is that classic staple of the Two Wizards podcast, a PBR, because it is the most barbaric and most subtle beer I could find on to do this with. So, yeah, just a couple oh, of good old-fashioned PBRs. That's amazing. Uh, a real quick other kind of side story. Um, yeah, my my Mrs. Wizard, she um, she was out of town. Uh, yeah, last weekend? Is that what it, what it was? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she, she, she was out of town for extended time, and... And I thought to myself, oh, wow, I've been literally just in the house. I have not left the house in like eight days. I should probably go see Civilization. Um, so there was a little barbecue place that I went and got lunch and I got a brisket sandwich. And yeah, drinking PBR off the tap. Oh, it's so good. Oh, you man. fucking hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. It was. Like I sat down at the bar because it was just me. Didn't have to get a table. Didn't have to get a booth. Didn't get, mm-hmm. have to get a high top. Just strolled up to the bar. Uh, bartender asks me what I want, and I tell her, maybe a PBR. Two wizards. <laughs> draft. Give me a draft beef PBR, please. Um, sadly, that is not what I am drinking uh, tonight, much as I wish. But also sort of in the spirit of what we're going to be doing uh, with this recording, um, I asked the Mrs. Wizard to go out and get me something bar- barbaric, bar- barbarian-y. Uh, and so she got me some mead. And so this is... Oh, uh, so this is the uh, feisty mead, uh, which is a father and son, yeah, f- f- uh, a father and son meadery here in Ohio, and I believe this is their. Um, uh, actually, I think it's just their classic, just their classic, classic mead here. So, hmm, right uh, on. yeah. Well, cheers, buddy. Here's Anya. Cheers, good buddy. Yep, PBR. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> and it's just so you're, it's just straight mead. There's nothing special about it. Well, um, it was me, uh, but it was uh, aged in uh, whiskey barrels. So it's like a whiskey barrel aged. Oh, mead. Okay. Um, okay. And I guess sort of with that in mind, I 
I threw a, a few whiskey stones in there because it seems like not like completely chilled, but just kind of, I don't know, something like that. But no, yeah, pretty. Let's see here. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely like getting the honey notes. Uh, definitely getting the sort of smoky vanilla. Mm, maybe some like stone fruit, maybe a little cherry, uh, a little plum, something like that. So yeah, pretty, pretty dang good. Right on, man. But you know who would not sit around uh, describing the like mouth feel of mead? You know who would just <laughs> go, just like take a horn of that and down it in one gulp? Who would that person be? None other than Conan. My mom. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe too. Maybe that too. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so it has been a while uh, since we've done our literature corner. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's yeah, yeah, the literature corner here in the Wizard's Tower. So, so we're returning to Robert E. Howard and, uh, you selected a couple of Conan sh- short stories for us this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're doing some more Conan and so I guess we might as well get into it with our first one. What do you think, buddy? Uh, I believe we should. Right on. So yeah, we're going to start with, um, The Frost Giant's Daughter, or The Gods of the North, published in March 1934. Okay, so that's almost 90, almost 90 years ago? Yeah. 89? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. That's so, ah, so stinky cool. Uh, well, and also a huge shout out to Project Gutenberg Australia for providing, uh, the text to us free of charge on, on yeah. the internet. Thanks, and guys. Also, can I say uh, some pretty stellar illustrations that diligent listeners will just have to follow up. We'll have to find Gods of the North on Project Gutenberg Australia to know what we're talking about here. Because that's a nice cover. That's a nice cover photo there. It's a good one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, and and I guess we'll kind of take it as we normally do. We'll sort of trade off paragraphs or, or, or sections, maybe more than a couple paragraphs. And then yeah. probably stop every so often and talk about just how awesome, awesome the thing that we read is. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, the ones that I picked tonight, they're not my favorite. I think I pitched to you Queen of the Black Coast first, and then I read it, and it took me a while to read. And I was mm-hmm. like, this has got six chapters, and you and I kind of get squirrely by, like, chapter we four did. of anything. So, <laughs> yeah, th- that one will happen later. Y'all, y'all ain't yeah. cool enough to get Queen of the Black Coast yet, guys. Like, Right, oh exactly. Well, because... Yeah. Well, because we did um, the Elephant's Tower, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then this is only our second Howard episode, right? Yeah, um, we kind of touched it in Ghost Stories. We read um, Dead That's Man's uh, Touch. That's true, but but yes, yeah. but like for like Conan specifically. So yeah, maybe like yeah, episode three, episode four. We could we can come back to that one. So yeah, as with uh, all things two wizards, you know it's butt sex. You got to ease it in, but also you don't give up butt sex on the second date. That's a third or fourth no. date one. So yeah, no, exa- no, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you haven't read this, right? No, I am woefully underread on how. Awesome, it, you are in for a treat, so sir. I'm, so I'm in for a treat. I think our our listeners are in for a treat too. So shall shall we begin? Yeah, let's do her. You want to take us away? Sure. Uh, So yeah, uh, Gods of the North, also known as the Frost Giant's Daughter. Across the red drifts and mail-clad forms, two figures glared at each other. In that utter desolation, only they moved. The frosty sky was over them, the white illimitable plain around them, the dead men at their feet. 
Slowly through the corpses they came, as ghosts might come to a tryst through the shambles of a dead world. In the brooding silence they stood face to face. Both were tall men, built like tigers. Their shields were gone, their corslets battered and dinted. Blood dried on their mail, their swords were stained red. Their horned helmets showed the marks of fierce strokes. One was beardless and black-maned. The locks and beard of the other were red as the blood on the sunlit snow. Man, he said, tell me your name so my brothers in Vanaheim may know who was the last of Wolf Hera's band to fall before the sword of Heimdall. Not in Vanaheim, growled the black-haired warrior, but in Valhalla will you tell your brothers that you met Conan the Cimmerian? Heimdall roared and leapt, and his sword flashed in a deathly arc. Conan staggered, and his vision was filled with red sparks of the singing blade on his helmet, shivering into bits of blue fire. But as he reeled his thrust with all the power of his broad shoulders behind the humming blade, the sharp point tore through brass scales and bone and heart, and the red-haired warrior died at Conan's feet. The Sumerian stood upright, trailing his sword, a sudden sick weariness assailing him. The glare of the sun and the snow cut his eyes like a knife, and the sky seemed shrunken and strangely apart. He turned away from the trampled expanse where yellow-beard warriors lay locked with red-haired slayers in the embrace of death. A few steps he took, but the glare of the snowfields was suddenly dimmed. A rushing wave of blindness engulfed him, and he sank into the snow, supporting himself on one mailed arm, seeking to shake the blindness out of his eyes as a lion might shake his mane. A silvery laugh cut through his dizziness, and his sight cleared slowly. He looked up. There was a strangeness about all the landscape that he could not place or define, an unfamiliar tinge to earth and sky. But he did not think long of this. Before him, swaying like a sapling in the wind, stood a woman. Her body was like ivory to his dazed gaze, and save for a light veil of gossamer, she was naked as the day. Her slender bare feet were wider than the snow they spurned. She laughed down at the bewildered warrior. Her laughter was sweeter than the rippling of silvery fountains and poisonous with cruel mockery. "'Who are you?' asked the Sumerian. "'Whence come you?' "'What matter?' Her voice was more musical than a silver-stringed harp, but it was edged with cruelty. "'Call up your men,' he said, grasping at his sword. "'Yet though my strength fail me, they shall not take me alive. I see that you are one of the Vanir.' "'Have I said so?' His gaze went again to her unruly locks, which at first glance he had thought to be red. Now he saw that they were neither red nor yellow, but a glorious compound of both colors. He gazed spellbound. Her hair was like elfin gold. The sun struck it so dazzlingly that he could scarcely bear to look upon it. Her eyes were likewise neither wholly blue nor wholly gray, but of shifting colors and dancing lights and clouds of colors he could not define. Her full red lips smiled, and from her slender feet to the blinding crown of her billowing hair, her ivory body was as perfect as the dream of a god. Conan's pulse hammered in his temples. I cannot tell, he said, whether you are of Vanaheim and an enemy of mine, or of Asgard and my friend. Far have I wondered, but a woman like you I have never seen. Your locks blind me with their brightness. Never have I seen such hair, not even among the fairest daughters of Aesir by Ymir. "'Who are you to swear by Ymir?' she mocked. "'What know you of the gods of ice and snow? "'You have come up from the south to adventure among an alien people.' 
By the dark gods of my own race, he cried in anger. Though I had not a golden hair, I, sir, none has been more forward in swordplay. This day I have seen fourscore men fall, and I alone have survived the field, where Wolfir's reavers met the wolves of Bragi. Tell me, woman, have you seen the flash of mail out across the snow plains, or are men moving up on the ice? I have seen the hoarfrost glittering in the sun, she answered. I have heard the wind whispering across the everlasting snows. He shook his head with a sigh. Njord should have come up before the battle joined. I fear he and his fighting men may have been ambushed. Wolf here and his warriors lay dead. I had thought there was no village within many leagues of this spot, for war carried us far. But you cannot have come a great distance over these snows, naked as you are. Lead me to your tribe if you are of Asgard, for I am faint with blows and weariness of strife. My village is further than you can walk, Conan of Samaria, she laughed. Spreading her arms wide, she swayed before him, her golden head lolling sensuously, her scintillant eyes half-shadowed beneath their long silken lashes. Am I not beautiful, O oh man? Like dawn running naked on the snows, he muttered, his eyes burning like those of a wolf. Then why do you not rise and follow me? Who is the strong warrior who lies down before me? She chanted in maddening mockery. Lie down and die in the snow with the other fools, Conan of the black hair. You cannot follow where I would lead. <laughs> Sorry, I love this fucking story so much. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> just drink, well, well, so, just drink, man. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, absolutely drink, and then this is a shorter one, but we should also, yeah, maybe take a pause yeah. and talk about what we've what we've experienced so far. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? First impressions. I mean, yeah. So very much. I I, I love the um, beginning in medias res, or really like almost at the end of this battle because there's just all these warriors uh, dead on the ground and Conan's facing off against the last one, and yeah, he proves no no match uh, for him. Uh, yeah, I so yeah, very vivid, very vivid. Um, uh, sensory details here, right? Like the white snow. Uh, the color of hair is like especially striking in this one, I think. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, it's... I, I appreciate that. I, I I like... It's not... It's 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 the race element of Howard stuff. Like every race has its own like defined traits. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how you know who your enemy is. Hey, your hair is red. Oh God, I gotta kill you. Oh no, you got gold hair? Nah, we're cool. Let's go get a beer. Like... Yeah, right, right. And then you have Conan with his, like, stark black hair. He's completely... He shouldn't be here. He doesn't belong mm-hmm. here. He's well, not Icy no or beard. Banner, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, no and beard. He, yeah. He doesn't have a beard. Um, yeah, and, and yes, maybe maybe our listeners might be thinking that it, it, it's a rather kind of clumsy portrayal of these different people. But hey, you know, it it is. It is, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um it's it's it is all right for there to be these sort of um yeah blocky generalizations that depict these different peoples so just get over it like it's fine um <laughs> yeah depicting these different people that are completely fictional and just have like vaguely reminiscent names like yeah 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 come on yeah um and then we get this woman who hasn't been named yet but um dollars to donuts Probably is the Frost Giant's daughter. Uh, <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> well, so, so, and I also kind of get a kick. Um, and man, I need to. Okay, well, parentheses, after I finish my 
dissertation and parentheses i really need to get back into some of the norse mythology stuff because i because i drunk pretty deeply of that for a while um and i was even like yeah kind of looking at some of the asa true kind of like uh folkish pagan religion stuff and yeah mm-hmm. like the uh 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 Aesir being like one sort of race of gods, one sort of like group of deities, and then the Vanir being a different one. And uh, yeah, like, yeah, they talked about Vanaheim and um, Valhalla, of course. So yeah, oh man, it's super sweet. It's cool. And also, yes, because I did just watch The Northmen again. Yeah, 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 that too. Um. <laughs> no, I your your horned up is your horn upness is a thousand percent appropriate, bud. Like, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. It's great. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but also, right, this other thing too that this gal is like so just like bafflingly beautiful. Um, what was the line? Like, yeah, she she, she was more beautiful than than the dream of a god. Oh, yeah. Drink for that line. Drink for that line. Yes, line. yes, sir. We should also play the drink anytime Howard gets a little bit too gay in his descriptions of Conan. <laughs> I mean, fair's fair. Fair's fair. <laughs> Not um, in this one so much. Like we already got, I think we already got through it where both men built like tigers, but oh, yeah. you just wait for a uh, next one. <laughs> Ooh, baby, it's a doozy. Fair, fair Like, enough, come fair. on, Robert, just suck his dick already. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any of your kind of last thoughts? Uh, for the for um, this first first half or so first first passage, uh, no, I don't think so. I think I'm good to go. All right, cool, cool, cool. So continuing on with an oath, the Sumerian heaved himself up on his feet, his blue eyes blazing, his dark scarred face contorted. Rage shook his soul, but desire for the taunting figure before him hammered at his temples and drove his wild blood fiercely through his veins. Passion fierce as physical agony flooded his whole being so that earth and sky swam red to his dizzy gaze. In the madness that swept upon him, weariness and faintness were swept away. He spoke no word as he drove at her, fingers spread to grip her soft flesh. With a shriek of laughter, she leaped back and ran, laughing at him over her white shoulder. With a low growl, Conan followed. He had forgotten the fight, forgotten the mailed warriors who lay in their blood, forgotten Njord and the reavers who had failed to reach the fight. He had thought only for the slender white shape, which seemed to float rather than run before him. Out across the white blinding plain the chase led. The trampled red field fell out of sight behind him, but Conan kept on with silent tenacity of his race. His mailed feet broke through the frozen crust. He sank deep in the drifts and forged through them by sheer strength. But the girl danced across the snow, light as a feather floating across a pool. Her naked feet barely left their imprint on the hoarfrost that overlaid the crust. In spite of the fire in his veins and the cold... Or, sorry, in spite of the fire in his veins, the cold bit through the warrior's mail and fur-lined tunic. But the girl in her gossamer veil ran as lightly and as gaily as if she danced on the palm, of, as she as if she danced through the palm and rose gardens of Poitan. On she led him, and Conan followed. Black curses drooled through the Sumerian's parched lips. The great veins in his temples swelled and throbbed, and his teeth gnashed. You cannot escape me, he roared. Lead me into a trap, and I'll pile the heads of your kinsmen at your feet. Hide from me, and I'll tear apart the mountains to find you. I will follow you to hell. Her maddening laughter floated back to him, and foam flew from the barbarian's lips. Further and further into the wastes she led him. The land changed. 
The wide plains gave way to low hills, marching upward in broken ranges. Far to the north he caught a glimpse of towering mountains, blue with the distance, or white with the eternal snows. Above these mountains shone the flaring rays of the Borealis. They spread fanwise into the sky, frosty blades of cold flaming light, changing in color, growing and brightening. Above him the skies glowed and crackled with strange lights and gleams. The snow shone weirdly, now frosty blue, now icy crimson, now cold silver. Through a shimmering icy realm of enchantment, Conan plunged doggedly onward, in a crystalline maze, where, on, where the only reality was the white body dancing across the glittering snow beyond his reach, ever beyond his reach. He did not wonder at the strangeness of it all, not even when two gigantic figures rose up to bar his way. The scales of their mail were white with hoarfrost, their helmets and their axes were covered with ice. Snow sprinkled their locks, in their beards were spikes of icicles. Their eyes were cold as the lights that streamed above them. Brothers, cried the girl, dancing between them, look who follows. I have brought you a man to slay. Take his heart that we may lay it smoking on our father's board. The giants answered with roars like the grinding of icebergs on, the fro on a frozen shore and heaved up their shining axes as the maddened Conan hurled himself upon them. A frosty blade flashed before his eyes, blinding him with its brightness, and he gave back a terrible stroke that sheared through the foe's thigh. With a groan, the victim fell, and in the instant Conan was dashed into the snow, his left shoulder numb from the blow of the survivor, which, from which the Sumerian's mail barely saved his life. Conan saw the remaining giant looming high above him in the sky, like a colossus carved of ice, etched against the glowing sky. The axe fell, to sink through the snow and deep into the frozen earth as Conan hurled himself aside and leapt to his feet. The giant roared and wrenched his axe free, but even as he did, Conan's sword sang down. The giant's knees bent, and he sank slowly into the snow, which turned crimson with the blood that gushed from the half-severed neck. Conan wheeled to see the girl standing a short distance away, staring at him with wide-eye horror, all the mockery gone from her face. He cried out fiercely, and the blood droplets flew from his sword and his flew from his sword as his hand shook in the intensity of his passion. Call the rest of your brothers, he cried. I'll give their hearts to the wolves. You cannot escape. With a cry of fright she turned and ran fleetly. She did not laugh now, nor mock him over her white shoulder. She ran as for her life. And though he strained every nerve and thew until his temples were like to burst and the snow swam red to his gaze, she drew away from him, dwindling in the witch fire of the skies, until she was a figure no bigger than a child, then a dancing white flame on the snow, then a dim blur in the distance. But grinding his teeth until the blood started from his gums, he reeled on, and he saw the blur grow to a dancing white flame, and then the flame to a figure big as a child, and then she was running less than a hundred paces ahead of him, and slowly the space narrowed, foot by foot. She was running with effort now, her golden locks blowing free. He heard the quick panting of her breath, and saw a flash of fear in the look she cast over her white shoulder. The grim endurance of the barbarian had served him well. The speed ebbed from her flashing white legs. She reeled in her gait. In his untamed soul leapt up the flames of hell she had fanned so well. With an inhuman roar, he closed in on her, just as she wheeled with a haunting cry and flung out her arms to fend him off. His sword fell into the snow as he crushed her to him. Her lithe body bent backward as he fought with desperate frenzy in his iron arms. Her golden hair blew about his face, blinding him with its sheen. 
The feel of her slender body twisting in his mailed arms drove him to blinder madness. His strong fingers sank deep into her smooth flesh, and that flesh was cold as ice. It was as if he embraced not a woman of human flesh and blood, but a woman of flaming ice. She writhed her golden head aside, striving to avoid the fierce kisses that bruised her red lips. You are cold as the snows, he mumbled dazedly. I will warm you with the fire of my own blood. With a scream and desperate wrench, she slipped away from his arms, leaving a single gossamer garment in his grasp. She sprang back and faced him, her golden locks in wild disarray, her white bosom heaving, her beautiful eyes blazing with terror. For an instant he stood frozen, awed by her terrible beauty, as she posed naked against the snows. And that instant she flung her arms toward the lights that glowed in the skies above her, and cried out in a voice that rang in Conan's ears forever after, Ymir, oh my father, save me! Conan was leaping forward, arms spread to seize her, when a crack like the breaking of an ice mountain, and the whole sky leaped into icy fire. The girl's ivory body was suddenly enveloped in a cold blue flame so blinding, the Sumerian threw up his hands to shield his eyes from the intolerable blaze. A fleeting instant, skies and snowy hills were bathed in the crackling white flames, blue darts of icy light, and frozen crimson fires. Then Conan staggered and cried out. The girl was gone. The glowing snow lay empty and bare. High above his head, the witch lights flashed and played in the frosty sky, gone mad. And among the distant blue mountains, where there sounded rolling thunder as, I, as, a, as of a gigantic war chariot rushing behind steeds, whose frantic hooves struck lightning on, from the snow and echoed from the sky. Then suddenly the Borealis, the snow-clad hills and the blazing heavens, reeled drunkenly to Conan's sight. Thousands of fireballs burst with showers of sparks, and the sky itself became a titanic wheel which rained stars as it spun. Under his feet the snowy hills heaved up like a wave, and the Sumerian crumpled into the snows to lie motionless. In a cold, dark universe whose sun was extinguished eons ago, Conan felt the movement of life, alien and unguessed. An earthquake had him in its grip and was shaking him to and fro, at the same time chafing his hands and feet until he yelled in pain and fury and groped for his sword. "'He's coming too, Horsa,' said a voice. "'Haste! We must rub the frost out of his limbs, if he's ever to wield a sword again.' "'He won't open his left hand,' growled another. "'He's clutching something.' Conan opened his eyes and stared into the bearded faces that bent over him. He was surrounded by tall, golden-haired warriors in mail and furs. "'Conan, you live!' By Krom Njord, gasped the Sumerian. Am I alive, or are we all dead and in Valhalla? We live, grunted the ace here, but busy over Conan's half-frozen feet. We had to fight our way through an ambush, or we had come up with you before the battle was joined. The corpses were scarce cold when we came upon the field. We did not find you among the dead, so we followed your spore. In Amir's name, Conan, why did you wander off into the wastes of the north? We have followed your tracks in the snow for hours. Had a blizzard come up and hidden them, we would have never found you by Ymir. Swear not so often by Ymir, uneasily muttered a warrior, glancing to the distant mountains. This is his land, and the god and the god bides among yonder mountains, the legends say. I saw a woman, Conan answered hazily. We met Bragi's men in the plains. I know not how long we fought. I alone lived. I was dizzy and faint. The land lay like a dream before me, only now do all things seem natural and familiar. The woman came and taunted me. She was beautiful as a frozen flame from hell, 
A strange madness fell upon me when I looked at her, so I forgot all else in the world. I followed her. Did you not find her tracks or the giants in icy mail I slew? Nord shook his head. We only found your tracks in the snow, Conan. Then it may be I am mad, said Conan dazedly. Yet you yourself are no more real to me than the golden-locked witch who fled naked across the snow before me. Yet from under my very hand she vanished like an icy flame. He is delirious, whispered a warrior. Not so, cried an older man whose eyes were wild and weird. It was Atali, the daughter of Amir, the frost giant. To fields of the dead she comes and shows herself to the dying. Myself, when a boy, I saw her, when I lay half slain on the bloody field of Wolraven. I saw her walk among the dead in the shadows, her naked body gleaming like ivory, and her golden hair unbearably bright in the moonlight. I lay and howled like a dying dog because I could not crawl after her. She lures men from stricken fields into the wastelands to be slain by her brothers, the ice giants, who lay men's red hot smoking on Emir's board. The Sumerian has seen Atali, the frost giant's daughter. Bah! grunted Horsa. Old Gorm's mind was touched in his youth by a sword cut on the head. Conan was delirious from the fury of battle. Look how his helmet is dented. Any of those blows might have addled his brain. It was a hallucination he followed into the wastes. He is from the south. What does he know of Atali? You speak truth, perhaps, muttered Conan. It was all strange and weird by Krom. He broke off glaring at the object that still dangled from his clenched fist, and the others ga gaped silently at the veil he held up, a wisp of gossamer that was never spun by human distaff. Bum, bum, snow! Let's go. Ah, oh, that ending. Yes. Oh, that ending's so good. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just a dream. If it was just a dream, then explain this. <laughs> I was that baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. That was a great one. I mean, maybe a little bit problematic there, but quite frankly, if I was in Conan's shoes, I bet I would probably do the same thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, it, 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 it's one of those archetypal patterns that appear in literature across ages and across cultures. Uh, the, the beautiful woman who lures men to their demise. And to us more enlightened minds in 2023, yeah, I'm sure it probably come, probably like kind of rubs some, some people the wrong way. But still... Damn, it's a hell of a story. And, 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 she kind of asked for it, just saying. She's all, yo, come get it. And hey, he did. went and got it. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> when he, yeah, proved uh, more than capable for the task, he was like, oh shit, gotta, gotta run. <laughs> it's like my mom always used to say, wanty, wanty, no gitty, 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 no wanty, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um,. I just want to pour one out real quick um, for the use of, and here's your uh, uh, SAT word for the episode, um, for that chiasmus that um, Co that uh, uh, Howard uses after Conan kills the two brothers and she runs away and it says, it was her figure, then it was like a small child, then it was like a flame, then it was like this, and then as he's, then, then as he's gaining on her, it reverses order. Um, 
Yeah, that that chiasmus, that sort of like parallel structure there. Ooh, that was good. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's I like this one. It's a lot of fun, and I every time we do a Howard, I don't I know how up on HP Lovecraft we get, like, mm-hmm. and I know how much we love him. But every time I read anything by Howard, I'm just kind of like amazed at like what a what a more concise writer he was, and what a I don't want to say better because they're different in their own ways, yeah. and they both have merit. But God, like. Dude, when's the last time we read a Lovecraft story and it didn't take us an hour to get through it? Like, you know what I mean? And that was that was a short story anyway, but damn, it went it, it was good. It mm-hmm. it clipped. It was Yeah, it clipped exactly. Exactly. There was stakes, you felt the desperation as like Conan kept chasing this fucking broad and it's like you're going to die, dude. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um it, yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. There is a the pacing it's 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 not just like the word count. Or the, or yeah, the the SAT words like antediluvian or cyclopean or whatever. Um, right, like just how many times does he just says say like gaze, um, uh, or uh, yeah, blood or, or whatever it, it is. It's the the language is more concise, the action is quicker, um, and then it is, and then it is that whole sort of mysterious. Oh, well, was it a dream? Don't pay attention to old Gorm. Got kicked in the head by a horse when he was. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that the. Uh, I'm really glad they're aware of uh, CTE. That's important, guys. Yeah. Always wear mm-hmm. a helmet when you ride into battle. But hey, also padding under that helmet. You know, it's yeah, exactly. real important. Exactly. I also like the little bits of like where you can tell that um, Howard and Lovecraft were buddies. Uh, he uses witchfire a lot, and that's a very Lovecrafty Ooh, word. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Just little things like that, and and once again, as always, between the two things, um, the use of color, like yeah. So much color. Just, here. yeah. It, it, for, in the north, like in snow, somehow in like the whitest, snowiest place on earth, like there's still like an abundance of color and it's bright and it's vivid and vibrant and terrible. And oh, I just, oh, I love it. Damn it. Well, I'm going to drink some beer. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and while the San Luis Valley itself is not any further north than Columbus, Ohio, in fact, I don't know. I don't even know what our land, what our latitude is here. Um, just, yeah, like the cold, denser air, uh, and also well before things like artificial light and like light pollution and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the handful of times that I've been back to visit, um, there in Colorado, I'm still struck with like, just looking at the night sky, looking at the, sure, we don't get any sort of aurora um over there but um it is yeah there is something about just like it, it, it just seems that much more vivid and vibrant in the cold compared to like muggy gross midwest <laughs> <laughs> right because because that was um what uh, yeah what wasn't it like three or four weeks ago there was the green comet that was supposed to you know, only comes by every like fifty thousand years or something like that. And uh, oh shit, um, yeah, and well, and a couple of other like astronomical phenomenon, like like full moons or blood moons or eclipses and things. Um, yeah, it's super easy to drive twenty minutes out of Alamosa, um, get um get amongst the Chico bushes, and then yeah, you, you can experience all that glory. Versus here in Columbus, yeah, forget about it. Like, 
if it's not cloudy and it's cloudy 90% of the time, there's too much city lights. You have to drive way out to the sticks. And um, so, so yeah, but, but yeah, like color um, seems to like dominate the, this story. There's, there's, there's lots of, lots of color, color going on. Yeah. I, I like it. I, I like this one. It's a good one. Yeah, it is. It is a good one. It is a good one. I'm trying to think if there was any other. I, I felt like there was one other. One other thing I wanted to comment on, but now I'm now this mead is starting to catch up with me a little bit. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, th- this is it. Um, when he's supposedly yeah, like coming out of his spell, or is he starting to wake up again? And it um. And he, yeah, and, and, and it describes the sky becoming a titanic wheel which rained stars as it spun. Ooh, that's good. Mm, yeah. That was super, super good. Yeah. Mm. It's just, I, I like Howard. I like him so much. Like, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, these make me feel manly. Like, I just like these stories. I like, mm-hmm. I like the idea of like a dude maybe going crazy and just trudging through you know just trudging across like the tundra like mm-hmm. and <laughs> convinced that he's you know seen this thing found this thing because whatever he did whatever atali was or wasn't like mm-hmm. conan still maybe killed two giants or you know like <laughs> right it, it's just well, great i also like i just also like how conan can just no problem fucking merc two ice giants like yeah like it was nah nothing. fuck you i'm conan get get out of my way like yeah are you some kind of ass your frost <laughs> axes cannot harm me i'm the sumerian bitch like yeah it's dodge yeah and he just like effortlessly um side sidesteps their giant frost giant axe uh, uh swings conan um, was the first dark souls player yeah truly truly <laughs> it was um well but but also to, to that as well because like isn't that always the thing uh reading Specifically, like, super old stories from, like, the medieval and, like, uh, classical eras. Like, oh, well, is is this sort of talking about some uh, uh, phenomenon that we have a better understanding about now? Like, so many people say that, like, a, a lot of Greek tragedies deal with, like, PTSD or things like that. And, yes, granted, this was only 90 years ago. Um but uh, yeah, like what Conan goes through there could very much be like a hypothermia-induced hallucination if he's like out stumbling in the cold, um, and yeah, he like gets disoriented and is hearing things or seeing things. Um, yeah, that's also kind of I I think I I think it's also clever to kind of have that sort of linger. It's like oh well, did he just get yeah. Did, did he just start to like lose body heat after after this battle you exhaust yourself you're sweating which means you evaporate your body heat faster which which means you cool off faster D- did he actually have some sort of like hypothermic incident here and imagine all this stuff but then again he has that goddamn silk gossamer fabric that no who no human could ever make uh ooh it's good oh it's good <laughs> Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think it's very appropriate given the weather you and I are both experiencing. Almost yeah. like I picked it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so yeah, uh, if if uh, you read any like national news stories about this strange man like wandering outside Columbus, Ohio during 
during the blizzard, the snowstorm that they were, they were going to get. And he's babbling on and on about the Frost Giant's daughter. <laughs> Listeners will know. <laughs> it ain't cheating if it's uh, the daughter of a god. <laughs> Baby, she was she was teasing me. She was leading me on. Put any other like mortal man in in, in that circumstance. What's gonna What's gonna change? <laughs> I was bewitched. The witch fire. <laughs> and it's really, you were drunk and she was a mannequin like hanging out of the back of a truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a, by crom, I'll run you down. You're cold as ice, girl. And then like the head falls off. Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> That's one of the like cardboard cutouts of Brutus Buckeye. <laughs> Stupid ass that's, mascot. Those were the two giants you slayed. Yeah. <laughs> he found a branch and beat the shit out of two cardboard cutouts in a liquor store. <laughs> hey, Mark, I can't record tonight. I, I I'm in a, I'm in lockup. I don't know how yeah, long I'm gonna be here. Lockup. Uh, yeah, uh, they want to keep me here through the weekend. Um, apparently, I assaulted. Um, yeah, two two college <laughs> two college. Undergrads, they were going to a basketball game. Um, In my defense, they were seven feet tall and had bright red hair. So yeah, yeah, there's yeah. To to be fair, to my credit. <laughs> oh man, that's okay. So now I'm trying to think because like the the other thing, um, is I'm trying to think from like my collegiate track and field days. When it got super cold, we would move into the indoor track in uh, Plocky Fieldhouse there. Um, but every once in a while, we would do like... Well, and then same for the cross-country guys, because those guys were running constantly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like having to like run for ages in like sub-zero weather. Uh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that would, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would need to be like spurred on by... Something equivalent to a gorgeous uh, frost giantess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Say no more, sir. I'm already there. Say no more. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, shit, with that, any final thoughts or you want to move on to our uh, last story of the night? No, no, that was great. That was a a wonderful first half. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what the the next one is going to be. Right on. Sounds good. Oh, man. Okay, well, yeah. Uh, Mead has been treating me pretty well so far, reading Conan the Barbarian. Um, you you staying with the Pabst Blue Ribbon? You know, I want to. I would love to say that I can keep drinking Pabst, but I kind of want to mix it up. And Okay. Yeah. Um, hey, guess what? That's right. It's IPA season because it's always IPA. So I've got a stone Fear Movie Lions out of um, Hazy Double IPA. It's just a stronger beer, and I need a stronger beer for this story because, damn, this is a good story, okay. but it, it okay, makes please. me feel strong, and I want to drink deeply of that strength. You know what I mean? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say this, and immediately I know it's a terrible idea, but like, um, well, no, so it's basically fight milk on It's Always Sunny, right? It's like okay. the like protein shake that also is alcoholic. Man. If that wasn't simultaneously the best and worst idea at the same time. 
little pre-workout, just get smashed and throw iron around. And uh, yeah, injure yourself and others. <laughs> but get crazy gains. Crazy gains. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing medicine ball work, but you're doing like plate slams. Yeah. <laughs> plate toss. <laughs> yeah. Basically, basically that. Basically that. And like, hey, I bet you can't uh, run through this plate glass that's in front of the workout stands. <laughs> it's in the gym. Whatever. Piss on you. I'm working for Mel Brooks. Downs. Uh, you have fight, fight, fight milk. And it goes screaming through the door. <laughs> okay sorry enough silliness um not at all, what not at all. what is our second half uh what is the second bookend to our evening of uh howard here um the next story we're going to be reading is iron shadows on the moon Ooh, very nice. And I'm trying to find a publication date, and I don't know when it was, because my internet's being a pain in the ass. April Um, 1934. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, also have not uh, read this one. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Um, And, yeah, this one's a little bit longer, so we can maybe stop and get a little bit more analysis if you want to. And also, rule stands, anytime Howard gets a little too horny for Conan or anybody else he describes, we take a drink. And hey, this one gets yeah. real horny, so. <laughs> no, perfect. Perfect. Uh, all right. So, yeah, here you go. Shadow, or, or yeah, um, um, Iron Shadows in the Moon, a.k.a. also sometimes Shadows in the Moonlight. Uh, chapter one. A swift crashing of horses through the tall reeds, a heavy fall, a despairing cry. From the dying steed there staggered up its rider, a slender girl in sandals and girdled tunic. Her dark hair fell over her white shoulders. Her eyes were those of a trapped animal. She did not look at the jungle of reeds that hemmed in the little clearing, nor at the blue waters that lapped the low shore behind her. Her wide-eyed gaze was fixed in agonized intensity on the horseman, who pushed through the reedy screen and dismounted before her. He was a tall man, slender but hard as steel. From head to heel, he was clad in light silvered mesh mail that fitted his supple form like a glove. From under the dome-shaped, gold-chased helmet, his brown eyes regarded her mockingly. Stand back, her her voice shrilled with terror. Touch me not, Shah Amarath, or I will throw myself into the water and drown. He laughed, and his laughter was like the purr of a sword sliding from a silken sheath. No, you will not drown, Olivia, daughter of confusion, for the marge is too shallow, and I can catch you before you reach the deeps. You gave me a merry chase by the gods, and all my men are far behind us, but there is no horse west of Villette that can distance Irem for long. He nodded at the tall, slender-legged desert stallion behind him. Let me go, begged the girl, desperate of tears of despair staining her face. Have I not suffered enough? Is there any humiliation, pain, or degradation you have not heaped on me? How long must my torment last? As long as I find pleasure in your whimperings, your pleas, tears, and writhings, he answered with a smile that would have seemed gentle to a stranger. You are strangely virile, Olivia. I wonder if I shall ever weary of you, as I have always wearied of women before. You are ever fresh and unsullied in spite of me. Each new day with you brings a new delight. But come, 
Let us return to Akif, where the people are still fetting the conqueror of the miserable Kazaki, while he, the conqueror, is engaged in recapturing a wretched fugitive, a lovely, or a foolish, lovely, idiotic runaway. No, she recoiled, turning toward the waters, lapping bluely among the reeds. Yes! His flash of open anger was like a spark struck from flint, with a quickness her tender limbs could not approximate. He caught her wrist, twisting it in pure wanton cruelty as she screamed and sank to her knees. Slut! I should drag you back to a keef on my horse's tail, but I will be merciful and carry you on my saddle-bow, for which favor you shall humbly thank me while... He released her with a startled oath and sprang back, his saber flashing out, as a terrible apparition burst from the reedy jungle, sounding an inarticulate cry of hate. Olivia, staring up from the ground, saw what she took to be either a savage or a madman advancing on Shah Amarath in an attitude of deadly menace. He was powerfully built, naked but for a girdled loincloth, which was stained with blood and crusted with dried mire. His black mane was matted with mud and clotted blood, there were streaks of dried blood on his chest and limbs, dried blood on the long straight sword he gripped in his right hand. From under the tangle of his locks, bloodshot eyes glared like coals of blue fire. You Hyrcanian dog, mouthed this apparition in a barbarous accent. The devils of vengeance have brought you here. Kozak, ejaculated Shah Amrath, recoiling. I did not know a... I did not know a dog of you escaped. I thought you all a stiff on the step by the Baris River. "'All but me, damn you!' cried the other. "'Oh, I've dreamed of such a meeting as this, "'while I crawled on my belly through the brambles "'or lay under rocks while the ants gnawed my flesh "'or crouched in the mire up to my mouth. "'I dreamed but never hoped it would come to pass. "'Oh, gods of hell, how I have yearned for this!' "'The stranger's bloodthirsty joy was terrible to behold. "'His jaw champed spasmodically.' Froth appeared on his blackened lips. Keep a w- keep back, ordered Shah Amrath, watching him narrowly. Ha! It was like the bark of a timber wolf. Shah Amrath, the great lord of Akif. Oh, damn you, how I love the sight of you. You who fed my comrades to the vultures, who tore them between wild horses, blinded and maimed and mutilated them all. You dog, you filthy dog. His voice rose to a maddened scream, and he charged. In spite of the terror... Of his wild appearance, Olivia looked to see him fall at the first crossing of blades. Madman or savage, what could he do, naked against the mailed chief of Akif? There was an instant when the blades flamed and licked, seeming barely to touch each other and leap apart. Then the broadsword flashed past the saber and descended terrifically on Shah Amarath's shoulder. Olivia cried out at the fury of that stroke. Above the crunch of the rending mail, she distinctly heard the snap of the shoulder bone. The Hyrcanian reeled back, suddenly ashen, blood spurting over the links of his hauberk. His saber slipped from his nerveless fingers. Quarter, he gasped. Quarter? There was a quiver of frenzy in the stranger's voice. Quarter such as you gave us, you swine? Olivia closed her eyes. There was no long... This was no longer battle but butchery, frantic, bloody, impelled by a hysteria of fury and hate, in which culminated the sufferings of battle, massacre, torture, and fear-ridden, thirst-madden, hunger-haunted flight. Though Olivia knew that Shah Amrath deserved no mercy or pity from any living creature, yet she closed her eyes and pressed her hands over her ears to shut out the sight of that dripping sword that rose and fell with the sound of a butcher's cleaver and the gurgling cries that dwindled and away and ceased. She opened her eyes to see the stranger turning away from the gory travesty, only to 
that only vaguely resembled a human being. The man's breast heaved with exhaustion or passion. His brow was beaded with sweat, his right hand splashed with blood. He did not speak to her or even glance toward her. She saw him stride through the reeds that grew at the water's edge, stoop and tug something. A boat wallowed out of its hiding place among the stalks. Then she divined his intention and was galvanized into action. Oh, wait, she wailed, staggering up and running toward him. Do not leave me. Take me with you. He wheeled and stared at her. There was a difference in his bearing. His bloodshot eyes were sane. It was as if the blood he had just shed had quenched the fire of his frenzy. Who are you? he demanded. I am called Olivia. I was his captive. I ran away. He followed me. That's why I, I, he came here. Oh, do not leave me here. His warriors are not far behind him. They will find his corpse and they will find me near it. Oh, she moaned in her terror and wrung her white hands. He stared at her in perplexity. Would you be better off with me? he demanded. I am a barbarian, and I know from your looks that you fear me. Yes, I fear you, she replied, too distracted to dissemble. My flesh crawls at the horror of your aspect, but I fear the Hyrcanians more. Oh, let me go with you. They will put me to torture if they find me beside their dead lord. Come, then. He drew aside, and she stepped quickly into the boat, shrinking from contact with him. She seated herself in the, in the bow, and he stepped into the boat, pushed off with an oar, and using it as a paddle, worked his way tortuously among the tall stalks until they glided out into open water. Then he set to work with both oars, rowing with great, smooth, even strokes, the heavy muscle of arms and shoulders and back rippling in rhythm to his exertions. Drink. There was... Drink. <laughs> there was silence for some time, the girl crouching in the bows, the man tugging at the oars. She watched him with timorous fascination. It was evident that he was not a Hyrcanian. And he, did not and he did not resemble the Hyborian races. There was a wolfish hardness about him that marked the barbarian. His features, allowing for the strains and stains of battle and his hiding in the marshes, reflected that same untamed wildness. But they were neither evil nor degenerate. Who are you? she asked. Shah Amranth called you a Kozak. Were you of that band? I am Conan of Samaria, he grunted. I was with the Kozaki as the Hyrcanian dogs called us. She knew vaguely that the land he named lay far away in the northwest, beyond the farthest boundaries of a different kingdoms of her race. I am a daughter of the king of Ophir, she said. My father sold me to a Shemite chief because I would not marry the prince of Koth. The Sumerian grunted in surprise. Her lips twisted in a bitter smile. Aye, civilized men sell their children as slaves to savages sometimes. They call your race barbaric, Conan of Samaria. We do not sell our children, he growled, his chin jutting truckantly. Well, I was sold, but the desert man did not misuse me. He wished to buy the goodwill of Shah Amrath, and I was among the gifts he brought to a keef of the Purple Gardens. Then she shuddered and hid her face in her hands. I should be all lost to shame, she said presently. Yet each memory stings me like a slaver's whip. I abode in Shah Amran's palace until some weeks agone he rode out with his host to do battle with a band of invaders who were ravaging the borders of Tehran. Yesterday he returned in triumph, and a great fete was made to his honor him. In drunkenness and rejoicing, I found opportunity to steal out of the city on a stolen horse. I had thought to escape, but he followed me, and about midday he came up. I outran his vassals, but, I could not, but him I could not escape. Then you came. I was lying hid in the reeds, grunted the barbarian. 
I was one of those dissolute rogues, the free companions who burned and looted along the borders. There were five thousand of us from a score of races and tribes. We had been serving as mercenaries for a rebel prince in eastern Koth, most of us, and when he made peace with his cursed sovereign, we were out of employment. So we took to plundering the outlying dominions of Koth, Zamora and Turin impartially. A week ago, Shah Amarath trapped us near the banks of Ilbars with 15,000 men. Mitra. The skies were black with vultures. When the lines broke after a whole day of fighting, some tried to break through to the north, some to the west. I doubt if any escaped. The steps were covered with horsemen riding down the fugitives. I broke for the east and finally reached the edge of the marshes that bordered this part of Vilayet. I've been hiding in the morasses ever since. Only the day before yesterday the riders ceased beating up the reed brakes, searching for just such fugitives as I. I've squirmed and burrowed and hidden like a snake, feasting on muskrats I caught and ate raw for lack of fire to cook them. This dawn I found this boat hidden among the reeds. I hadn't intended going out on the sea until night, but after I killed Shah Amarath, I knew his mailed dogs would be close at hand. And what now? We shall doubtless be pursued. If they fail to see the marks left by the boat, which I covered as well as I could, they'll guess anyway that we took to sea, after they fail to find us among the marshes. But we have a start, and I'm going to haul at these oars until we reach a safe place. Where shall we find that? she asked hopelessly. Villiette is a Hyrcanian pond. Some folks don't think so, grinned Conan grimly. Notably the slaves that have escaped from galleys and become pirates. But what are your plans? The southwestern shore is held by the Hyrcanians for hundreds of miles. We still have a long way to go before we pass beyond their northern boundaries. I intend to go northward until I think we have passed them. Then we'll turn westward and try to land on the shore bordered by the uninhabited steppes. Suppose we meet pirates, or a storm, she asked, and we shall starve on the steppes. Well, he reminded her, I didn't ask you to come with me. I am sorry, she bowed her shapely dark head. Pirates, storms, starvation, they are all kinder than the people of Tehran. Aye, his dark face grew somber. I haven't done with them yet. Be at ease, girl. Storms are rare on Villa yet at this time of year. If we make the steps, we shall not starve. I was reared in a naked land. It was those cursed marshes, with their stench and stinging flies, that nigh unmanned me. I am at home in the highlands. As for pirates, he grinned enigmatically and bent to the oars. The sun sank like a dull glowing copper ball into a lake of fire. The blue of the sea merged with the blue of the sky, and both turned to a soft, dark velvet, clustered with stars and the mirrors of stars. Olivia reclined in the bows of the gently rocking boat, in a state dreamy and unreal. She experienced an illusion that she was floating in midair, stars beneath her as well as above. Her silent companion was etched vaguely against the softer darkness. There was no break or falter in the rhythm of his oars. He might have been a phantasmal oarsman, rowing her across the dark lake of death. But the edge of her fear was dulled, and lulled by the monotony of motion, she passed into a quiet slumber. Ooh, drink. Drink. All right. Chapter one. Well, there's a little break. There's a little break. We haven't quite gotten to chapter two here, but... We can take a beat, though. Um, Number one, Gilead is a gigantic inland sea in the Howardverse. Okay. 
yeah, so that it kind of alternates between lake and sea, but that's what it is, is a gigantic, great um, inland sea, I guess you could call it. Okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, um, what do you think, though? Yeah, again, man, uh, uh, off to a banger, this, this poor uh, girl, Olivia, running from the vile, evil, mustache-twirling, I'm sure, uh, Shah Amarath. <laughs> And who should appear um, almost not not quite a deus ex machina, but a barbarian ex marshes. Uh, <laughs> barbarian ex swampinaw. <laughs> um, yeah. Woo. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. It's again, Conan is the last of a the last survivor of a terrible battle. I always like it how like he's mm. supposed to be the greatest, like this great warrior king who or, or warrior who like will become king by his own hand. And yet he's the only one that ever makes it out alive, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just right. Uh the the free companions, the Viking dudes that he's teamed up with. Yeah, everybody else just gets um Absolutely flattened, and yet here here he is, last last one standing. That's. <laughs> yeah. I would almost like I- imagining that like tales of him and his deeds kind of pass um, from region to region. Man, I would start to s- sweat pretty hard if I found myself in the same army as Conan. Like, oh shit! Now I'm next. Ah <laughs> oh, hell! Ah <laughs> oh, hell! It's set up. <laughs> It's it's all the like red shirts on Star Trek, and there's just yeah. like Conan standing there in his loincloth, and you're like, oh, we're not gonna live. Well, that's it for this suit. He gets dragged <laughs> off by yeah, horse <laughs> through <laughs> Rock Ridge. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, all right. Well, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I was just gonna say real quick. I really appreciate like the raw violence in this too, though. Like it talks about like. Yeah. She heard the man's shoulder break, like, under the impact of the sword. And then it wasn't fighting. It was butchery. And the sword started to sound like a cleaver, like a butcher's cleaver. I think that's... Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because this is, like, 1934. And duh. Like, of course we know what horror and brutality is. We just got through, the, like, the First World War. But at the same time, yeah. you don't... I don't know. You don't hear... You don't read Lovecraft going, and then Cthulhu ripped apart the helmsman with his mini tentacle. Like, it just... Yeah. You don't get it. Like... Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Lovecraft strikes me as much more kind of cerebral, messing with your mind, and Howard is much more visceral. Um, yeah, and, and and not just gory, but yeah, the like kind of uh, tactile, sensory, crunchy details like that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Good stuff. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Anyway, I'm I'm good if you are. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally, totally good. Uh, continuing on. Yeah. Dawn was in her eyes when she awakened, aware of a ravenous hunger. It was a change in the motion of the boat that had roused her. Conan was resting on his oars, gazing beyond her. She realized that he had rowed all night without pause and marveled at his iron endurance. She twisted about to follow a stair and saw a green wall of trees and shrubbery rising from the water's edge and sweeping away in a wide curve enclosing a small bay whose waters lay as still as blue glass. This is one of the many islands that dot this inland sea, said Conan. They are... Ooh, sorry. 
but there we go. Um, they are supposed to be uninhabited. I've heard the Hyrcanians seldom visit them. Besides, they generally hug the shores in their galleys, and we have come a long way. Before sunset, we were out of sight of the mainland. With a few strokes, he brought the boat into shore and made the painter fast to the ar- and made the painter fast to the arching root of a tree which rose from the water's edge. Stepping ashore, he reached out a hand to help Olivia. She took it, wincing slightly at the bloodstains upon it, feeling a hint of the dynamic strength that lurked in the barbarian's thews. A dreamy quiet lay over the woods that bordered the blue bay. Then somewhere, far back among the trees, a bird lifted its morning song. A breeze whispered through the leaves and then and set them to murmuring. Olivia found herself listening to, intently for something. She knew not what. What might be lurking amid those nameless woodlands? As she peered timidly into the shadows between the trees, something swept into the sunlight and with a swift whirl of wings. A great parrot, which dropped onto a leafy branch, and swayed there, a gleaming image of jade and crimson. It turned its crested head sideways and regarded the invaders with the glittering eyes of jet. Crom, muttered the Sumerian. Here is the grandfather of all parrots. He must be a thousand years old. Look at that evil wisdom of his eyes. What mysteries do you guard, wise devil? Abruptly the bird spread its flaming wings and soaring from its perch cried out harshly, Yakulin Yaktha Zathula! and the wild screech of the horribly human laughter rushed along the trees to vanish in the opalescent shadows. Olivia stared after it, feeling a cold hand of nameless foreboding touch her supple spine. What did it say? she whispered. Human words, I'll swear, answered Conan, but in what language I can't say. Nor I, returned the girl, yet it must have learned them from human lips, human or... She gazed into the leafy fastness and shuddered slightly without knowing why. Crom, I'm hungry, grunted the Sumerian. I could eat a whole buffalo. We'll look for fruit, but first I'm going to cleanse myself of this dried mud and blood. Hiding in marshes is foul business. So saying, he laid aside his sword, and wading out shoulder-deep into the blue water, went about his ablutions. When he emerged, his clean-cut bronze limbs shone. His streaming black mane was no longer matted. His blue eyes, though they smoldered with unquenchable fire, were no longer murky or bloodshot but the tigerish suppleness of limb and the dangerous aspect of feature were not altered. Strapping on his sword once more, he motioned the girl to follow him, and they left the shore, passing under the leafy arches of the great branches. Underfoot lay a short green sward which, crushed, which cushioned their tread. Between the trunks of the trees, they caught glimpses of fairy-like vistas. Presently, Conan grunted, grunted in delight at the sight of golden and russet globes hanging in clusters among the leaves. Indicating that the girl should seat herself on a fallen tree, he filled her lap with the exotic delicacies, and then himself fell to with unconcealed gusto. Ishtar, he said between mouthfuls, since Ilbars I have lived on rats and roots I dug out of the stinking mud. This is sweet to the palate, though not very filling. Still, it will serve if we eat enough. Olivia was too busy to reply. The sharp edge of the Sumerian's hunger blunted, he began to gaze at his fair companion with more interest than previously. Noting the lustrous, the lustrous clutter, <clears throat> noting the lustrous clusters of her dark hair and the peach bloom tints of her dainty skin, the rounded contours of her lithe figure, which the scanty skilt, silk, t- sorry, which the scanty silk tunic displayed to full advantage. Finishing her meal, the object of his scrutiny looked up and met his burning, slit-eyed gaze. She changed color, and the remains of the fruit slipped from her fingers. 
Without comment, he indicated with a gesture that they should continue their explorations, and rising, she followed him out of the trees and into the glade, the farther end of which was bound by a dense thicket. As they stepped into the opening, which was... There was a ripping crash in the thicket, and Conan bounding aside, carrying the girl with him, narrowly saved them from something that rushed through the air and struck a tree with thunderous impact. Whipping out his cor- whip- whipping out his sword, Conan bounded across the glade and plunged into the thicket. Silence ensued while Olivia crouched on the so- on the sward, terrified and bewildered. Presently, Conan emerged, a puzzled scowl on his face. Nothing in that thicket, he growled, but there was something. He studied the missile that had so narrowly missed them, and grunted incredulously, as if unable to credit his own senses. It was a huge block of greenish stone which lay on the sward at the foot of the tree, whose wood its impact had splintered. A strange stone to find on an uninhabited island, growled Conan. Olivia's lovely eyes dilated in wonder. The stone was a symmetrical block, indisputably cut and shaped by human hands, and it was astonishingly massive. The Sumerian grasped it with both hands, and with legs braced and the muscles standing out on his arms and back in straining knots, he heaved it above his head and cast it from him, exerting every ounce of nerve and sinew. It fell a few feet in front of him. Conan swore. No man living could throw that rock across this glade. It's a task for siege engines. Yet here there are no mangonels or ballistas. Perhaps it was thrown by, thrown by some such engine from afar, she, she suggested. He shook his head. It didn't fall from above. It came from yonder thicket. See how the twigs are broken? It was thrown as a man might throw a pebble. But who? What? Come. She hesitatingly followed him into the thicket. Inside the outer ring of leafy brush, the undergrowth was less dense. Utter silence brooded over all. The springy sward gave no sign of footprint. Yet from this mysterious thicket had heard that yet from this mysterious thicket had hurled, hurled that boulder, swift and deadly. Conan bent closer, closer to the sward where the grass was crushed down here and there. He shook his head angrily. Even to his keen eye it gave no clue as to what had stood or trodden there. His gaze roved to the green roof above their heads, a solid ceiling of thick leaves and interwoven arches. And he froze suddenly. Then rising, sword in hand, he began to back away, thrusting Olivia behind him. Out of here, quick, he urged in a whisper that congealed the blood, the girl's blood. What is it? What do you see? Nothing, he answered guardedly, not halting his wary retreat. But what is that, then? What lurks in this thicket? Death, he answered, his gaze still fixed on the brooding jade arches that shut out the sky. Once out of the thicket, he took her hand and led her swiftly through the thinning trees, until they mounted a grassy slope, sparsely tread, or sparsely treed, and emerged on a low plateau, where the grass grew taller and trees were few scattered, and in the midst of the plateau ran a long, broad structure of crumbling greenish stone. They gazed in wonder. No, no legends named such a building on any island of Villette. They approached it warily, seeing the, that the moss and lichen crawled over the stones and, had broken, and the broken roof gaped to the sky. On all sides lay bits and shards of masonry, half hidden in the waving grass, giving the impression that once many buildings rose there, perhaps a whole town. But now the long hall-like structure rose against the sky, and its walls leaned drunkenly along the crawl- among the crawling vines. Whatever doors had once guarded its portals had long rotted away. Conan and his companion stood in the broad entrance and stared inside. Sunlight streamed in through different gaps in the wall and roof, making the interior a dim weave of light and shadow. 
Grasping his sword firmly, Conan entered, and with the slouching gait of a hunting panther, sunken head and noiseless feet, Olivia tiptoed behind him. Once within, Conan grunted in surprise, and Olivia stifled a scream. Look! Oh, look! I see, he answered. Nothing to fear. They are statues. But how lifelike and how evil, she whispered, drawing him clo- drawing close to him. They stood in a great hall whose floor was of polished stone, littered with dust and broken stones, which had fallen from the ceiling. Vines growing beneath the stones masked the apertures. The lofty roof, flat and undomed, was upheld by thick columns marching in rows down the sides of the walls, and in each space between these columns stood a strange figure. They were statues, apparently of iron, black and shining as if continually polished. They were life-size, depicting tall, lithely, powerful men, with cruel, hawk-like faces. They were naked, and every swell, depression, and contour of joint and sinew was represented with incredible realism. But the most lifelike feature was their proud, intolerant faces. These features were not cast in the same mold. Each face possessed its own individual characteristics, though there was a tribal likeness between them all. There was none of the monotonous uniformity of decorative art, in the faces at least. They seem to be listening and waiting, whispered the girl uneasily. Conan rang his hilt against one of the images. Iron, he pronounced. But Crom, in what molds were they cast? He shook his head and shrugged his massive shoulders in puzzlement. Olivia glanced timidly at the great silent hall. Only in the only the ivy-grown stones, the tendril-clasped pillars, with the dark figures brooding between them, met her gaze. She shifted uneasily and wished to be gone, but the images held a strange fascination for her companion. He examined them in detail and barbaric. Sorry, <laughs> that's a weird sentence. He examined them in detail, and barbarian-like tried to break off their limbs. But their material resisted his best effort. He could neither disfigure nor dislodge from its niche a single image. He, At last he desisted, swearing in wonder. What manner of men were these copied from? He inquired of the world at large. These figures are black, but they are not like Negroes. I have never seen their like. Let us go into the sunlight, urged Olivia, and he nodded, with a baffling glance at the brooding shapes along the walls. So they passed out of the dusky hall into the clear blaze of the summer sun. She was surprised to note its position in the sky. They had spent more time in the ruins than she had guessed. Let us take to the boat again, she suggested. I am afraid here. It is a strange, evil place. We do not know when we may be attacked by whatever cast that rock. I think we're safe as long as we're not under the trees, he answered. Come. The plateau, whose sides fell away toward the wooden shores on the east, west, and south, sloped upward toward the north to abut on a tangle of rocky cliffs, the highest point of the island. Thither Conan took his way, suiting his long stride to his companion's gait. From time to time his glance rested inscrutably upon her, and she was aware of it. They reached the northern extremity of the plateau, and stood gazing up the steep pitch of the cliffs. Trees grew thickly along the rim of the plateau east and west of the cliffs, and clung to the precipitous incline. Conan glanced at these trees suspiciously, but he began the ascent, helping his companion on the climb. The slope was not sheer, and was broken by ledges and boulders. The Sumerian, born in a hill country, could have run up it like a cat, but Olivia found the going difficult. Again and again she felt herself lifted lightly off her feet and over some obstacle that would have taxed her strength to surmount 
and her wonder grew at the sheer physical power of the man. She no longer found his touch repugnant. There was a promise of protection in his iron clasp. At last they stood on the ultimate pinnacle, their hair stirring in the sea wind. From their feet the cliffs fell away sheerly three or four hundred feet to a narrow tangle of woodlands bordering the beach. Looking southward, they saw the whole island lying like a great oval mirror, its beveled edges sloping down swiftly into a rim of green, except where it broke in the pitch of the cliffs. As far as they could see, on all sides stretched the blue waters, still, placid, fading into dreamy hazes of distance. The sea is still, sighed Olivia. Why should we not take up our journey again? Conan poised like a bronze statue on the cliff and pointed northward. Straining her eyes, Olivia saw a white fleck that seemed to hang suspended in the arcing haze. What is it? A sail. Hyrcanians? Who can tell at this distance? They will anchor here. Search the island for us, she cried in quick panic. I doubt it. They come from the north, so they cannot be searching for us. They may stop for some other reason, in which case we'll have to hide as best we can. But I believe it's either pirate or a Hyrcanian galley returning from some northern raid. In the latter case, they're not likely to anchor here. But we can't put to sea until they've gone out of sight, for they're coming from the direction in which we must go. Doubtless they'll pass the island tonight, and at dawn we can on our way. Then we must spend the night here? She, sh she shivered. Wow, that's hard to say. She <laughs> shivered. It's safest. Then let us sleep here, on the crags, she urged. He shook his head, glancing at the stunted trees, at the marching woods below, a green mass which seemed to send out tendrils straggling up the sides of the cliffs. Here are too many trees. We'll sleep in the ruins. She cried out in protest. Nothing will harm you there, he soothed. Whatever threw the stone at us did not follow us out of the woods. There was nothing to show that any wild thing layers in the ruins. Besides, you are soft-skinned and used to shelter in dainties. I could sleep naked in the snow and feel no discomfort, but the dew would give you cramps were we to sleep in the open. Burn! Fucking drink! Drink. Not only does Conan slay with a sword, he'll lay a bitch low with a tongue. In more ways than one. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Olivia helplessly acquiesced, and they descended the cliffs, crossed the plateau, and once more approached the gloomy, age-haunted ruins. By this time, the sun was sinking below the plateau rim. They had found fruits in the trees near the cliffs, and these formed their supper, both food and drink. The southern nights swept, quick, swept down quickly, littering the dark blue sky with great white stars, and Conan entered the shadowy ruins, drawing the reluctant Olivia after him. She shivered at the sight of those tense black shadows in their niches along the wall. In the darkness that the starlight only faintly touched, she could not make out their outlines. She could only sense their attitude of waiting waiting as they had waited for untold centuries. Conan had brought a great armful of tender branches, well-leafed. These he heaped up to make a couch for her, and she lay upon it with a curious sensation of lying down to sleep in a serpent's lair. Whatever her forebodings, Conan did not share them. The Sumerian sat near her, his back against a pillar, his sword across his knees. His eyes gleamed like a panther's in dusk. Sleep, girl, said he. My slumber is light as a wolf's. Nothing can enter this hall without awaking me. Olivia did not reply. From her bed of leaves, she watched the immobile figure, indistinct in self-darkness. How strange to move in fellowship with a barbarian, to be cared for and protected by one of a race of tales of which had frightened her as a child, 
He came from a bloody people, grim and ferocious. His kinship to the wild was apparent in his every action. It burned in his smoldering eyes. Yet he had not harmed her, and her worst oppressor had been a man the world called civilized. It was a deli- as, as a delicious languor stole over her relaxing limbs, and she sank into foamy billows of slumber. Her last waking thought was a drowsy recollection of the firm touch of Conan's fingers on her soft flesh. Woo! Yeah! Oh, so good. All right, so Conan and Olivia are camping out in the ruins. There was the King of All Parrots. It made it honestly reminded me of um when we did pterosaur attack and there was a guy in the swamp and he saw the pterosaur and he's like, well, that's oh, got to yeah. be the king of all the ducks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be pretty terrifying though to like have this old ass parrot come at you, speak some sort of humanish sounding language and then fly off laughing at you. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty ominous. <laughs> Yeah, I Giant Birds, um, The Rock of Doom. Um, I just I like I like the story a lot. It's a good story. Um get a yeah. you get a good appreciation of like what's the first thing Conan does because he's a barbarian? Oh, he tries to fuck up the statues. Yeah, he tries to rip it apart. Well and, and, and even before that, um as they're trying to enjoy their first meal, they're trying to eat. You know, he's been rowing all night, he's desperate for calories. Something flings this absolute boulder at him. Um, and yeah, the also first thing he does is like try to pick it up and see how far he can throw it. <laughs> Boy, if I have never resonated like with the line in literature harder than that, like, yeah, that looks pretty heavy. I bet I can lift it. And then like, I can't No, no man could have thrown that. Yeah. No, no man could have thrown this. If I can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, and I'm sure our listeners may, may have an indication, may have a, a suspicion or two about just what just what's going on with who threw the boulder and there's these statues that look really buff but then strangely what what could happen who could have done that but i'm having fun i'm having <laughs> it was fun. actually the parrot the parrot yeah it was a parrot the parrot threw the rock and also yeah um we we called it out at the moment and i also think it bears re- repeating um, yeah, boy, Conan, uh, negging, uh, Olivia hard there. Like, no, let's just leave that here. I don't want to go back to the scary ruined palace. Whatever. I mean, I could do it, but you're used to living, uh, under a roof. <laughs> all the, all the fineries. Uh, I could, I could fall asleep in the snow and be fine. But if you have the morning dew on you, you'll get cramps. <laughs> Burn. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, yes, chapter well, two. And I guess and yes. I guess on that note, chapter two. Olivia dreamed, and though her dreams crawled the suge- and through her dreams crawled the suggestion of lurking evil, like a black serpent writhing f- through flower gardens. Her dreams were fragmentary and colorful, exotic shards of broken, unknown patterns, until they crystallized into a scene of horror and madness, etched in the background of Cyclopean, drink, stones and pillars. She saw a great hall, whose lofty ceiling was upheld by stone columns marching in even rows along the massive walls. Along these pillars fluttered the great green and scarlet parrots, and the hall hall was thronged with black-skinned, hawk-faced warriors. 
they were not Negroes, neither their neither they nor their garments nor weapons resembled anything the world of the dreamer anything of the world the dreamer knew. They were they were pressing about one bound pillar, a slender white skinned youth with a cluster of golden curls about his alabaster brow. His beauty was not altogether human, like the dream of a god chiseled out of living marble. The black warriors laughed at him, jeered and taunted in a strange tongue. The lithe, naked form writhing beneath their cruel hands, blood trickled down the ivory thighs to spatter on the polished floor. The screams of the victim echoed through the hall. Then, lifting his head toward the ceiling and the skies beyond, he cried out a name in an awful voice. A dagger in an ebon hand cut short his cry, and the golden head rolled on the ivory breast. As if in an answer to a desperate cry, there is a rolling thunder of a, of a celestial chariot, we, chariot wheel. Second celestial chariot striking Ooh, thunder. Just go. pointing that one out. And a yep. figure stood before the slayers, as if materialized out of empty air. The form was of a man, but no mortal man wore such an aspect of inhuman beauty. There was an unmistakable resemblance between him and the youth who dropped lifeless in chains, but the alloy... But the alloy... Sorry, had a burp. But the alloy of humanity that softened, that softened the godliness of the youth was lacking in the features of the stranger, awful and immobile in their beauty. The blacks shrank back before him, their eyes slits of fire. Lifting a hand, he spoke, and his tones echoed through the silent halls in deep, rich waves of sound. Like men in a trance, the black warriors fell back until they were ranged along the walls in regular lines. Then from the stranger's chiseled lips rang a terrible invocation and command. Yang klugan yokta zuthala. At that blast of the awful cry, the black figures stiffened and froze. Over their limbs crept a curious rigidity, an unnatural petrification. The stranger touched the limp body of the youth, and the chains fell away from it. He lifted the corpse in his arms. Then ere he, he turned away, his tranquil gaze swept again over the silent rows of ebony figures, and he pointed to the moon, which gleamed in through the casements. And they understood those tense, waiting statues that had been men. Olivia awoke, starting up on her couch of branches, a cold sweat beating her skin. Her heart pounded loud in the silence. She glanced wildly about. Conan slept against his pillar, his head fallen upon his massive breast. The silvery radiance of the late moon crept through the gaping roof, throwing long white lines along the dusty floor. She could see the images dimly, black, tense, waiting. Fighting down a rising hysteria, she saw the moonbeams rest lightly on the pillars and shapes between. What was that? A tremor among the shadows where the moonlight fell. A paralysis of horror gripped her, for where there should have been the immobility of death, there was movement, a slow twitching, a flexing and writhing of ebon limbs. An awful scream burst from her lips as she broke the bonds that held her mute and motionless. At her shriek, Conan shot erect, teeth gleaming, sword lifted. The statues! The statues! Oh my god, the statues are coming to life! And with the cry, she sprang through a crevice in the wall, burst madly through the hindering vines, and ran, ran, ran blind, screaming, witness! until a grasp on her arm brought her up short, and she shrieked and fought against the arms that caught her, until a familiar voice penetrated the mists of her terror, and she saw Conan's face, a mask of bewilderment in the moonlight. What in Crom's name, girl? Did you have a nightmare? His voice sounded strange and far away. With a sobbing gasp, she threw her arms around his thick neck and clung to him convulsively, crying in panting catches. Where are they? Did they follow us? Nobody followed us, he answered. 
She sat up, still clinging, still clinging to him, and looked fearfully about. Her blind flight had carried her to the southern edge of the plateau. Just below them was the slope, its foot masked by the thick shadows of the woods. Behind them she saw the ruins looming in the high, swinging moon. Did you not see them, the statues moving, lifting their hands, their eyes glaring in the shadows? I saw nothing, answered the barbarian uneasily. I slept more soundly than usual, because it had been so long since I have slumbered the night through. Yet I don't think anything could have entered the hall without waking me. Nothing entered, a laugh, a laugh of hysteria escaped her. It was something there already. Ah, Mitra, we lay down to sleep among them like sheep making their bed in the shambles. What are you talking about, he demanded. I woke at your cry, but before I had time to look about me, I saw you rush out through the crack in the wall. I pursued, I pursued you lest you come to harm. I thought you had a nightmare. So I did, she shivered. But I, but the reality was more grisly than the dream. Listen, and she narrated all that she had seen, er, uh, and she narrated all that she had dreamed and thought to see. Conan listened attentively. The natural skepticism of the sophisticated man was not his. His mythology contained ghouls, goblins, and necromancers. After she had finished, he sat silent, silently, absently toying with his sword. The youth they tortured was like the tall man who came. He asked at last. As like father to as like son to father, she answered, and hesitatingly, if the mind could conceive of the offspring of a union of divinity with human, I would picture that youth. The gods of old times mated sometimes with mortal women. Our legends tell us. What gods? He muttered. The nameless, forgotten ones. Who knows? They have gone back to their still waters of the lake and the quiet hearts of the hills and gulfs beyond the stars. Gods are no more stable than man. But if these shapes were men, blasted into iron images by some god or devil, how came? How can they come to life? There is witchcraft in the moon, she shuddered. He pointed at the moon. While the, while the moon shines on them, they live, so I believe. But we were not pursued, muttered Conan, glancing toward the brooding ruins. You might have dreamed they move. I am of a mind to return and see. No, no, she cried, clutching him desperately. Perhaps the spell upon them holds them in the hall. Do not go back. They will rend you limb from limb. Oh, Conan, let's go to, let us go back to our boat and flee this awful island. Surely the Hyrcanian ship has passed us. Let us go. So frantic was her pleading that Conan was impressed. His curiosity in regard to the images was balanced by his superstition. Foes of flesh and blood he did not fear. However great the odds... But any hint of the supernatural roused all the dim, monstrous instincts of fear that are the heritage of the barbarian. He took the girl's hand, and they went down the slope and plunged into the dense woods, where the leaves whispered, and nameless nightbirds murmured drowsily. Under the trees the shadows clustered thick, and Conan swerved to avoid the denser patches. His eyes roved continuously from side to side, and often flitted into the branches above them. He went quickly, yet warily, his arm girdling the girl's waist so strongly that she felt as if she were being carried rather than guided. Neither spoke. The only sound was the girl's quick, nervous panting, the rustle of her small feet in the grass. So they came through the trees to the edge of the water, shimmering like molten silver in the moonlight. We should have brought fruit for food, muttered Conan, but doubtless we'll find other islands. As well leave now as later... It's but a few hours till dawn. His voice trailed away. The painter was still made fast to the looping root, but the other end was smashed and shattered ruin. 
half-submerged in the shallow water. A stifled cry escaped Olivia. Conan wheeled to face the dense shadow, a crouching image of menace. The noise of night birds was suddenly silent, and the brooding stillness reigned over the woods. No breeze moved the branches, yet somewhere the leaves stirred faintly. Quick as a great cat, Conan caught up Olivia and ran. Through the shadows he raced like a phantom, while somewhere above and behind the sounds of curious rushing among the leaves, the, that implacably drew closer and closer. Then the moonlight burst full open upon their faces, and they were, were, and they were speeding up the slope of the plateau. At the crest, Conan laid Olivia down and turned to glare at the back of the gulf of shadow that he had just quitted. The leaves shook in the sudden breeze, that was all. He shook his mane with an angry growl. Olivia crept to his feet like a frightened child. Her eyes looked up at him in the dark wells of horror. "'What are we to do, Conan?' she whispered. He looked, to the, at the, he looked at the ruins, stared again into the woods below. "'We'll go to the cliffs,' he declared, lifting her to her feet. "'Tomorrow I'll make a raft, and we'll trust our luck to the sea again.' "'It was not, not they that destroyed our boat.' It was half a question and half assertion. He shook his head, grimly taciturn. Every step of the way across the, that moon-haunted plateau was a sweating terror for Olivia, but no black shapes stole subtly from the looming ruins, and at last they reached the foot of the crags, which rose stark and gloomily majestic above them. There Conan halted in some uncertainty, at last selecting a place sheltered by a broad ledge, nowhere near any trees. "'Lie down and sleep if you can, Olivia,' he said. I'll keep watch. But no sleep came to Olivia, and she lay watching the distant ruins and wooded rim until the stars paled and the east whitened, and dawn rose and struck gold fire from the dew on the grass blades. She rose stiffly, her mind reverting to all the happenings of that night. In the morning light, some of the terrors seemed like figments of an overwrought imagination. Conan strode over to her. His words electrified her. Just before dawn I heard the creak of timbers and the rasp and clack of cordage and oars. A ship has put in and anchored at the beach not far away. Perhaps the ship whose sail we saw yesterday. We'll go up to the cliffs and spy on her. Up they went, and lying on their bellies among the boulders, saw a painted mast jutting up beyond the trees to the west. A Hyrcanian craft, from the cut of her rigging, muttered Conan. I wonder if the crew... A distant medley of voices reached their ears, and creeping to the southern edge of the cliffs, they saw a motley horde emerging from the fringe of trees along the western rim of the plateau, and stand there a space, er, sorry, and stand there in a space debate. They were much flourishing of arms, brandishing of swords, and a loud, rough argument. Then the whole band started across the plateau towards the ruins, at a slant that would take them close by the foot of the cliff. Pirates, whispered Conan, a grim smile on his thin lips. It's a Hyrcanian galley they've captured. Here, crawl among these rocks. Don't show yourself unless I call to you, he instructed, having secret her to his satisfaction among a tangle of boulders along the crest of the cliffs. I'm going to meet these dogs. If I succeed in my plan, all will be well, and we'll sail away with them. If I don't succeed, we'll hide yourself in the rocks until they've gone, for no devils on this island are as cruel as these sea wolves. And tearing himself from her reluctant grasp, he swung quickly down the cliffs. Looking fearfully from her ivory, Olivia saw the band had neared the foot of the cliffs. Even as she looked, Conan stepped out from among the boulders and faced them, sword in hand. They gave back with yells of menace and surprise, then halted uncertainly to glare at this figure which had appeared so suddenly from the rocks. There were some seventy of them, a wild horde made up of men from many nations. 
Kothians, Zamorians, Brithunians, Corinthians, Shemites. Their features reflected the wildness of their natures. Many bore the scars of the lash or the branding iron. There were cropped ears, slit noses, gaping eye sockets, stumps of wrists, marks of the hangman as well as the scars of battle. Most of them were half-naked, but the garments they wore were fine. Gold-braided jackets, satin girdles, silken breeches, tattered, stained with tar and blood, vied with pieces of silver-chased armor. Jewels glittered in nose rings and earrings, and in the hilts of their daggers. <clears throat> Over against this bizarre mob stood the tall Sumerian in strong contrast with the hard bronze limbs and clean-cut features. Who are you? they roared. Conan the Sumerian, his voice was like the deep challenge of a lion. One of the free companions. I mean to try my luck with the Red Brotherhood. Who's your chief? I, by Ishtar, bellowed a bull-like voice. A huge figure swaggered forth, a giant naked to the waist, where his capacious belly was girdled with a wide sash that upheld voluminous silken pantaloons. His head was shaven except, except for a scalp lock. His mustaches drooped over a rat-trap mouth. Green Shemitish slippers with upturned toes were on his feet, and a long straight sword in his hand. Conan glared, or Conan stared and glared. Sergius of Krosha, by Krom. Aye, by Ishtar, boomed the giant, his small black eyes glittering with hate. Did you think I had forgot? Ha! Sergius never forgets an enemy. Now I will hang you by your heels and skin you alive. At him, lads! I send your dogs at me, big belly, sneered Conan with bitter scorn. You were always a coward, you Gothic cur. Coward? To me? The broad face turned black with passion. On guard, you northern dog, I'll cut out your heart. In an instant, the pirates had formed a circle about the rivals, their eyes blazing, their breath sucking between their teeth in bloodthirsty enjoyment. High up among the crags, Olivia watched, sinking her nails into her palms in her painful excitement. Without formality, the combatants engaged, Sergius coming in with a rush, cut quick on his feet as a giant cat for all his bulk. Curses hissed between his clenched teeth as he lustily swung and parried. Conan fought in silence, his eyes slits of blue bale fire. The Cothian ceased his oaths to save his breath. The only sounds were the quick scuff of feet on the sword, the panting of the pirate, the ring and clash of steel. The swords flashed like white fire in the early sun, wheeling and circling. They seemed to recoil from each other's contact, then leapt together again instantly. Sergius was giving back. Only his superlative skill had saved him thus far from the blinding speed of the Sumerian's onslaught. A louder clash of steel, a sliding rasp, a choking cry. From the pirate horde, a fierce yell split the morning as Conan's sword plunged through the captain's massive body. The point quivered an instant from between Sergius's shoulders, a hand's breadth of white fire in the sunlight. Then the Sumerian retched back his steel and the pirate chief fell heavily, face down, and lay in a widening pool of blood his broad hands twitching for an instant. Conan wheeled toward the gaping corsairs. Well, you dogs, he roared. I've sent your chief to hell. What says the law of the Red Brotherhood? Before any could answer, a rat-faced Berthunian, standing behind his fellows, whirled a sling swiftly and deadly. Straight as an arrow sped the stone to its mark, and Conan reeled and fell as a and Conan reeled and fell as a tall tree to the woodsman's axe. Up the, on the cliff, Olivia caught at the boulders for support. The scene swam dizzyingly before her eyes, and she could see the Sumerian lying limply on the sword, blood oozing from his head. 
The rat-faced one yelped in triumph and ran to stab the prostate the prost mm, and ran to stab the prostrate man, but a lean Corinthian li- sorry, but a lean Corinthian thrust him back. What, Aratus? Would you break the law of the Brotherhood, you dog? No law is broken, snarled the Bruthunian. No law? Why, you dog, this man you have just struck down is by just rights our captain. Nay, shouted Aratus. He was not of our band, but an outsider. He had not been admitted to the fellowship. Slaying Sergius does not make him captain. And as would have been the case had he killed what had one of us killed him. But he wished to join us, retorted the Corinthian. He said so. At that great at that a great clamor arose, some siding with the Rattus, others with the Corinthian, whom some called Ivanos. Oaths flew thick, challenges were passed, hands fumbled at sword hilts. At last his Shemite spoke up above the clamor. Why do you argue over a dead man? He's not dead, answered the Corinthian, rising from beside the prostrate Sumerian. It was a glancing blow. He's only stunned. At that the clamor rose anew, Herodotus trying to get at the senseless man, and Ivanos finally bestriding him, sword in hand, and defying all and sundry. Olivia sensed that it was not so much in defense of Conan that the Corinthians took his stand, but in opposition to Herodotus. Evidently these men had been Sergius's lieutenants, and there was no lost love between them. After more arguments, it was decided to bind Conan and take him along with them, his fate to be voted on later. The Sumerian, who was beginning to regain consciousness, was bound with leather girdles, and then four pirates lifted him, and with many complaints and curses carried him along the band, which took up its journey across the plateau once more. The body of Sergius was left where it had fallen, a sprawling, unlovely shape on the sun-washed sward. Up upon the rocks Olivia lay stunned by the disaster. She was incapable of speech or action, and could only lie there and stare with horrified eyes as the brutal horde dragged her protector away. How long she lay there, she did not know. Across the plateau, she saw the pirates reach the ruins and enter, dragging their captive. She saw them swarming in and out of the doors and crevices, prodding into heaps of debris and clamoring about the walls. After a while, a score of them came back across the plateau and vanished among the trees of the western rim, dragging the body of Sergius after them, presumably to cast into the sea. About the ruins, the others were cutting down trees and securing material for a fire. Olivia heard their shouts, unintelligible in the distance, and she heard the voices of those who had gone into the woods echoing among the trees. Presently, they came back into the light, bearing casks of liquor and leather sacks of food. They headed for the ruins, cursing lustily under their burdens. Of all this, Olivia was mechanically cognizant. Her overwrought brain was almost ready to collapse. Left alone and unprotected, she had realized how much the protection of the Sumerian had meant to her. There intruded a vaguely a wonderment of the mad pranks of fate that could make the daughter of a king the companion of a red-handed barbarian. With that came a revulsion toward her own kind. Her father, Shah Amrath, they were civilized men, and from them she had only... And from them she had only suffering. She had never encountered any civilized man who treated her with kindness unless there was an ulterior motive behind her, his actions. Conan had shielded her, protected her, and so far demanded nothing in return. Laying her head in her rounded arms, she wept until the distant shouts of the ribald rivalry roused her to her own danger. She glanced from the dark ruins which the fantastic figures, small in the distance, weaved and staggered to the dusky depths of the green forest. Even if her terrors in the ruins the night before had been only a dream, the menace that lurked in those, le those green leafy depths below was no figment of nightmare. 
Were Conan slain or carried away captive, her only choice would lie between giving up herself to the human wolves of the sea or remaining alone in the devil-haunted island. As the full horror of the situation swept over her, she fell sw- forward into a swoon. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I promise I'll stop doing that after each. I do it too. Uh, I, I'm just as bad. It's all good. Like, <laughs> uh, But yeah, so things go from bad to worse for our uh, plucky, unlikely duo here of Conan the Barbarian and Olivia the Princess. She she has this, this horrible dream about how these statues or what looked to be statues came to be. And they decide to sail away, but their boat is smashed. Something broke their destroyed their boat. And then on then to top everything else off, pirates. Goddamn pirates. <laughs> Goddamn pirates. Conan makes a fat joke. I love that. <laughs> Not belly. you, big belly. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, man! Like Conan is like on. He's like spitting that fire yeah. this time. Like, yeah, he's, he's on point. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, oh man, yeah, I. I don't even know if I really have much to add here. It's just a great, thrilling escalation. Just when you think like, okay, well, I guess that was it for the weird island with the old parrots and the buff statues. No, <laughs> goddamn pirates had to come along. <laughs> I also like how in a story about like, you know, there's obviously something going on with the, um, these gigantic iron statues in the moon, (laughs) um, the, the, the ancient King parrot and all this shit. It doesn't matter because now there's the even more real threat of the pirates. And that's, I just, I like it. I, and, and now the pirates are now in the house, like, right. Yeah. Now they're here. They're getting drunk. They set up camp. They're going to bury their chief. Big Belly, mm-hmm. and yeah, like, well, I guess well, they're going to throw, I don't know if they're yeah. going to throw him in the ocean or bury him or whatever, but they say they went back for his body at whatever rate, like, yeah, well, so and, now and they're for, here, and yeah. Well, and and I, I also like that last little moment at the end where she realizes, like, both, yeah, the one and only, like, source of protection um, and, like, comfort that she's had in the last 48 hours, roughly, is this dude, A... Uh, and then B, here, here's this barbarian who has treated her better than any one of these quote-unquote civilized uh, men, like her father, like the Shah. Um, so ladies, go find you a barbarian. <laughs> don't, don't, don't look for any like, yeah, these like uh, smooth-talking, tell-you-one-thing-but-he-has-an-ulterior-motive. Update your Tinder profiles. It was like uh, bar- barbarians only. Um, actually, that would be a good one. I mean, it, like if there's if there's any market that's oversaturated uh, besides podcasting, it's like online e dating apps. So we'll come up with all, only barbarians. Um, <laughs> you not see companionship anymore at barbariansonly.com. <laughs> By Crom, I by Crom. <laughs> yeah, just lots of uh, loincloths and gossamer silken tunics. Um, <laughs> are you aware? Uh, are you are, are you like grossly aware of how much clothes you're wearing right now? Because I'm like wearing like I kind of am, a yeah. tank top and a set of pair of jeans. I'm like, 
Maybe we ought to cut and I should put on my toga. I don't know. Like, Yeah, I mean, it It does bear mention. Now, granted, I'm not quite as hot-blooded as a Sumerian is. I'm one of those, yeah, kind of like bastard frost giants, more like. But then again, they have like a cold immunity too. Um, but uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, I think... I think, yeah, like being topless needs to be more um, acceptable in public. Like going to the gym here, there's times when I'm working out and I'm starting to build up a sweat and the little ceiling fans just ain't cutting it. And I wish I could rip off my shirt and like finish it out. But no, I'll get I'll get kicked out. It's a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, civilized man is a little softer, but also civilized man can't like, you know, Wipe down the goddamn benches sometimes. Yeah, so we gotta right. wear shirts. See, like Conan the Barbarian would wipe down his bench. Goddamn right he would. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Conan sneers at your ringworm. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Um. Uh, <laughs> all right. So um, <clears throat> Conan <throat> has been taken by the pirates. The pirates are all up in the temple. Um, Olivia is so messed up with all of her business that she blacked out like any good Lovecraft. I'm sorry. Any good Pulp Fiction character does when they can't handle it. They black the Mm -hmm. fuck out like a fainting goat. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and we'll just have to see, you know, the, the thrilling, um, the thrilling conclusion, uh, cause listeners who may be following along, um, yeah, you may think like, well, wait, there's. You only got through chapters one and two, and you're already at the two-hour mark. Hey, three and four are going to go by in a flash. Um, it, it'll be it'll be snappy. And to help us along, I have I have re-added uh, to my wizard's cup a little um, uh, a little of that bourbon barrel aged mead. So, woo, woo, doggies. And I'm sticking with PBR. I shouldn't. Yeah. I should not tarry with IPAs. We know this. We love this. <laughs> Is there some really old, like, parrot outside your window going, Young Thuluka, IPA, and then, like, flying off? <laughs> IPA shadows on the moon. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, here you go, here you go. Yes, here we go. Chapter 3. The sun was hanging low when Olivia regained her senses. A faint wind wafted to her ears distant shouts and snatches of ribald song. Rising cautiously, she looked out across the plateau. She saw the pirates clustered about a great fire outside the ruins, and her heart leaped as a group emerged from the interior, dragging some object she knew was Conan. They propped him against the wall, still evidently bound fast, and there ensued a long discussion, with much brandishing of weapons. At last they dragged him back into the hall, and took up anew the business of ale-guzzling. Oh, drink. That's a great thing. We will too. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Olivia sighed. At least she knew that the Sumerian still lived. Fresh determination steeled her. As soon as night fell, she would steal to those grim ruins and free him, or be taken herself in the attempt. And she knew it was not selfish interest alone which prompted her decision. With this in mind, she ventured to creep from her refuge to pluck and eat nuts, which grew sparsely near at hand. She had not eaten since the day before. It was while so occupied that she was troubled by a sensation of being watched. She scanned the rocks nervously, 
then with a shuddering suspicion crept to the north edge of the cliff and gazed down into the wavering green mass below already dusky with the sunset she saw nothing it was impossible that she could be seen when not on the cliff's edge by anything lurking in those woods yet she distinctly felt the glare of hidden eyes and felt that something animate and sentient was aware of her presence and her hiding place okay all right i know i just did this <laughs> <laughs> Um, difference between sentient and sapient, and, may, and maybe in this case, <laughs> both count. It could be both. It's it's animate. It's something living and breathing. It's sentient. It probably feels, and it could be sapient. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Lordy. laughs> okay, here we go. Sorry. Uh, no, no, you're good. Because there's that fucking word again, and I still don't know how to yeah. say it. <laughs> Stealing back to her rocky ire, she wa- she lay watching the distant ruins until the dusk of night masked them. Then she marked their position by the flickering flames about which black figures leapt and cavorted groggily. You know what? Drink for cavorted groggily, too. I'm sorry. I want to I want to cavort groggily. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how pirates would cavort, all horned up on grog. I was just going to say, yeah, if there are two things that pirates are known for, is it's... Taking treasure and cavorting groggily. <laughs> Sometimes at the same time. <laughs> Sometimes at the probably most times at the same time. Most I imagine. times at the same time, yeah, simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> then she rose. It was time to make her attempt. But first she stole back to the northern edge of the cliffs and looked down into the woods that bordered the beach, and she strained her eyes in the dim starlight. She stiffened, an icy hand had touched her heart. Far below her something moved. It was as if a black shadow detached itself from the gulf of shadows below. It moved slowly up by the sheer face of the cliff, a vague bulk, shapeless in the semi-darkness. Panic caught Olivia by the throat, and she she struggled with the scream that tugged at her lips. Turning, she fled down the southern slope. That flight down the shadowed cliffs was a nightmare in which she slid and scrambled, catching at jagged rocks with cold fingers. She tore her tender skin, bruised her soft limbs on the rugged boulders over which Conan so lightly lifted her. She realized again her dependence on the iron thewed barbarian, but this she thought it was but this thought was but one fluttering maelstrom of a dizzy flight. The descent seemed endless, but at last her feet struck the grassy levels, and in a very frenzy of eagerness she sped toward the fire that burned like a red heart of night. Behind her as she fled, she heard a shower of stones rattle down the steep slope, and that sound lent wings to her heels. What grisly climber dislodged those stones, she dared not try to think. Strenuous physical activity dissipated her blind terror somewhat, and before she had reached the ruin, her mind was clear, her reasoning faculties alert, though her limbs trembled from her efforts. She dropped to the sword and wriggled along on her belly until, from behind a small tree that had escaped the axes of the pirates, she watched her enemies. <clears throat> they had completed their supper, but were still drinking, dipping pewter mugs or jeweled goblets into the broken heads of the wine casks. Some were already snoring drunkenly on the grass, while others had staggered into the ruins. Of Conan, she saw nothing. She lay there, while the dew formed on the grass about her and the leaves overhead, and the men about the fire cursed, gambled, and argued. There were only a few about the fire. Most of them had gone into the ruins to sleep. She lay watching them, her nerves taut with the strain of waiting, the flesh crawling between her shoulders at the thought of what might be watching her in turn, of what might be stealing up behind her. Time dragged on leaden feet. One by one, the revelers sank down in drunken slumber until all were stretched senseless beside the dying fire. 
Olivia hesitated, then was galvanized by a distant glow rising through the trees. The moon was rising. With a gasp, she rose and hurried toward the ruins. Her, fresh, her flesh crawled as she tiptoed among the drunken shapes that sprawled beside the gaping portal. Inside were many more. They shifted and mumbled in their besotted dreams, but none awakened as she glided among them. A sob of joy rose to her lips as she saw Conan. The Sumerian was wide awake, bound upright to a pillar, his eyes gleaming in the faint reflection of the waning fire outside. Picking her way among the sleepers, she approached him. Lightly as she had come, he had heard her, had seen her when she first framed in the portal. A faint, grim, a faint grin touched his hard lips. She reached him and clung to him in an instant. He felt the quick beating of her heart against his breast. Through a broad crevice in the wall stole a beam of moonlight, and the air was instantly supercharged with subtle tension. Conan felt it and stiffened. Olivia felt it and gasped. The, sleeper, the sleepers snored on. Bending quickly, she drew a dagger from its senseless owner's belt and set qu quickly to work on Conan's bonds. They were sail cords, thick and heavy, and tied with the craft of a sailor. She toiled desperately, while the tide of moonlight crept across the floor toward the feet of the crouching black figures between the pillars. Her breath came in gasps. Conan's wrists were free, but his elbows and legs were still bound fast. She glanced fleetingly at the figures along the wall, waiting, waiting. They seemed to watch her with an awful patience of the undead. The drunkards beneath her feet began to stir and groan in their sleep. The moonlight crept down the halls, touching the black feet. The cords fell from Conan's arms, and taking the dagger from her, he ripped the bonds from his legs with a single quick slash. He stepped from the pillar, flexing his limbs, stoically enduring the agony of returning circulation. Olivia crouched against him, shaking like a leaf. Was it some trick of the moonlight that touched the eyes of the black figures with fire, so that they glimmered redly in the shadows? Conan moved with the abruptness of a jungle cat, catching up his sword where it lay on a stack of weapons nearby. He lifted Olivia lightly from her feet and glided toward the opening that, ga that gaped the ivy-grown wall. No word passed between them. Lifting her in his arms, he set off swiftly across the moon-bathed sward. Her arms about his iron neck, the Ophirian closed her eyes, cradling her dark, curly head against his, against his massive shoulder. A delicious sense of security stole over her. In spite of his burden, the Sumerian crossed the plateau swiftly, and Olivia, opening her eyes, saw that they were passing under the shadow of the cliffs. "'Something climbed the cliffs,' she whispered. "'I heard it scrambling behind me as I came down.' "'We'll have to chance it,' he grunted. "'I'm not afraid. Now,' she sighed. "'You were not afraid when you came to free me, either,' he answered. "'Crom, what a day it has been. Such haggling and wrangling I never heard.' I'm nearly deaf. Aratus wished to cut out my heart, and Evanos refused to spite Aratus, whom he hates. All day long they snarled and spat at each other, and the crew grew quickly and the crew quickly grew too drunk to vote either way. He halted suddenly, an image of bronze in the moonlight. With a quick gesture he tossed the girl lightly to one side and behind him, rising to her knees on the soft sword, she screamed at what she saw. Out of the shadows of the cliffs moved a monstrous, shambling bulk, an anthropomorphic horror, a grotesque travesty of creation. In general outline, it was not unlike a man, but its face was lined in bright moonlight was bestial, with close-set eyes, flaring nostrils, and great flabby lips and a mouth which gleamed white, tusk-like fangs. It was covered with shaggy, grayish hair, shot with silver which shone in the moonlight, and a great misshapen paw hung nearly to the earth. Its bulk was tremendous. And as it stood on its short bowed legs, its bullet-like head rose a 
above that of the man who faced it. The sweep of the hairy beast and giant shoulders was breathtaking, the arms huge like knotted trees. The moonlight scene swam to Olivia's sight. This, then, was the end of the trail, for what human being could withstand the theory of, that hairy, of the hairy mountain of thews and ferocity? Yet she stared in wide-eyed horror at the bronze figure facing the monster. She sensed a kinship in the antagonist that was almost appalling. This was less a struggle between man and beast than a conflict between two creatures of the wild, equally merciless and ferocious. With a flash of white tusks, the monster charged. The mighty arm spread wide as the beast plunged, stupefyingly quick for all his vast bulk and stunted legs. Conan's action was a blur of speed Olivia's eye could not follow. She only saw that he had evaded that deadly grasp, and his sword, flashing like a jet of white lightning, sheared through one of those massive arms between shoulder and elbow. A great spout of blood deluged the sword as the severed member fell, twitching horribly. But even as the sword bit through, the other malformed hand locked in Conan's black mane. Only the iron neck muscles of the Sumerian saved him from a broken neck that instant. His left hand darted out to clamp on the beast's squat throat. His left knee was jammed hard against the brute's hairy belly. Then began a terrific struggle, which lasted only seconds, but which seemed like ages to the paralyzed girl. The ape maintained his grasp in Conan's hair, dragging him toward the tusks that glistened in the moonlight. The Sumerian resisted this effort, with his left arm rigid as iron, while the sword in his right hand, wielded like a butcher knife, sank again and again into the groin, breast, and belly of his captor. The beast took its punishment in awful silence, apparently unweakened by the blood that gushed out that gushed from its ghastly wounds. Swiftly, the terrible strength of the anthropoid overcame the leverage of braced arm and knee. Inexorably, Conan's arm bent under the strain. Nearer and nearer, he was drawn to the slavering jaws that gaped for his life. Now the blazing eyes of the barbarian glared into the bloodshot eyes of the ape. But as Conan tugged vainly at his sword, wedged deep in the hairy body, the frothing jaws snapped spasmodically shut, an inch from the Sumerian's face, and he was hurled to the sword by the dying convulsions of the monster. And that is a sweet-ass illustration. Uh, that is here a sweet-ass illustration. Project Gutenberg Australia uh, uh, webpage. That's sweet. <laughs> I think he fucked it up though. That looks like its left hand, but he clearly cut off its right hand. Ooh, yeah, I oh yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think uh Hugh, not to totally blow it apart, but No, yeah, Hugh Rankin, dude, you were so well unless like it's like the back of the hand facing us and it's like kind of curled up. Maybe uh, okay, maybe. It, you know what I'm not gonna, if it's I'm palm not gonna argue. Us, it's it's fucking dope yeah. as shit. No, it is. If, if, if it's palm-facing enough, uh, yeah, Hugh Rankin, you, you done goofed. Um, but it's still all the same. An awesome illustration. <laughs> Super sweet. <laughs> um, Olivia, half-fainting, saw the ape heaving, thrashing, writhing, and gripping, man-like, the hilt that jutted from its body. A sickening instant of this, and the great bolt quivered and lay still. Conan rose and limped over to the corpse. The Sumerian breathed heavily and walked like a man whose joints and muscles have been wrenched and twisted almost to their limit of endurance. He felt his bloody scalp and swore at the sight of the long black red strands still grasped in the monster's shaggy hand. Chrome, he panted. I feel as if I'd been racked. I'd rather fight a dozen men. Another instant and he'd have bitten off my head. 
Blast him, he's torn a handful of my hair out by the roots. Gripping his hilt with both hands, he tugged and worked it free. Olivia stole close to clasp his arm and stared down wide-eyed at the sprawling monster. What? What is it? she whispered. A gray man-ape, he grunted. Dumb and man-eating. They dwell in the hills that border the eastern shore of this sea. How this one got to how this one got to this island, I can't say. Maybe he floated here on driftwood, blown out from the mainland in a storm. And it was he that threw the stone? Yes. I suspected what it was when we stood in the thicket and I saw the boughs bending over our heads. These creatures always lurk in the deepest woods they can find, and seldom emerge. What brought him into the open, I can't say. But it was lucky for us. I'd have no chance with him among the trees. It followed me, she shivered. I saw it climbing the cliffs. And following his instinct, he lurked in the shadow of the cliff instead of following you out across the plateau. His kind are creatures of darkness in the silent places, haters of sun and moon. Do you suppose there are others? No, else the pirates had been attacked when they went through the woods. The gray ape is wary, for all his strength has shown by his hesitancy in falling upon us in the thicket. His lust for you must have been great, to have driven him to attack us finally in the open. What? He started and wheeled back toward the way they had come. The night had been split by an awful scream. It came from the ruins. Instantly there followed a mad medley of yells, shrieks, and cries of blasphemous agony. Though accompanied by a ringing of steel, the sounds were of massacre rather than battle. Conan stood frozen, the girl clinging to him in a frenzy of terror. The clamor rose to a crescendo of madness, and then the Sumerian turned and went swiftly toward the rim of the plateau with its fringe of moon-limbed trees. Olivia's legs were trembling so that she could not walk, so he carried her, and her heart calmed its frantic pounding as she nestled into his cradling arms. They passed under the shadowy forest, but the clusters of blackness held no terrors. The rifts of silver discovered no grisly shapes. Nightbirds murmured slumberously. The yells of slaughter dwindled behind them, massed in the distance to a confused jumble of sound. Somewhere, a parrot called, like an eerie echo, so they came to the tree-fringed water's edge and saw the galley lying at anchor, her sails shining white in the moonlight. Already the stars were paling for dawn. And chapter bom, three. Bom, bom. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to do it. He's going to do it. Then you didn't do it. I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. It's the old rock, paper, scissors of <laughs> scene, scene transitions. Um, so yes, even though chapter three, um, was one of the shorter ones, and I think chapter four might be even shorter, um, whole lot of action there. So Olivia, find how Olivia got her groove back, I think is, is this chapter. Um, she, she (laughs) toughens up. Sure. She has her fainting spell, but she, she wakes up, she realizes, an Ophirian's got to do what an Ophirian's got to do, uh, Sneaks back into the pirate camp, gets chased by something, uh, frees Conan, and I also love this little bit, right, where, like, um, earlier, when they get on the island, uh, Conan's teasing her, like, oh, you, you're you used to sleeping indoors. If you slept outside, the dew would um, make your muscles all sore. Uh, but what does she do here? She, like, she like sleeps or, like, waits for the long enough that the dew's on her. And she still, like, jumps into action. So, good on you, Olivia. 
Yeah. I I like the transformation. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Um, I don't want to just yes and copy you 100%, but yeah, that's that's it. But like, it's great. And But then the little things too, like Conan fights the ape and she's too scared to walk, so, oh, I guess I got to carry this bitch. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and... And when he first realizes that the gray ape is there, he just, like, chucks her to the side like it's nothing. Um, yeah. Dodge! But, 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 but softly. But softly. So but softly. <laughs> lovingly tosses her. Um, so now that we have seen the uh, sapient form, where do you fall down? What, what is it, Josh? I Okay, so I, I think this one probably is just sentient. Because uh, if, if this thing were sapient um, and, like, had that self-awareness, probably would have had, like, Probably would have like chucked another stone to like daze um, Conan and then then attack as opposed to just um, going in. Um, okay. So okay. yeah, I, I think I don't know. Probably. Um, but then also, right? Like, man, isn't that like, and like, granted, aided by that awesome uh, picture there. Uh, but man, like, that's just like an epic. Because because what do they say? Like, there, there's a line like, it's not so much man versus beast, but like two antagonists uh kind of oh the similarity between the antagonists wasn't was appalling yeah yeah exactly where uh oh man that's so cool that's so stinking cool (laughs) (laughs) it's also also like this story has everything like revenge fucking pirates um i guess nightmares in a scary ooky spooky temple Mm -hmm. giant monsters like amazing story yeah, this thing. Well, and even and even uh, some kind of like, dare I say, romance for dare for, dare for yeah for things <laughs> out there. <laughs> this story truly does have everything. This is awesome, man. God damn, I gotta read more Conan. So I wonder we, how it ends, Josh. I want. I wonder. I wonder. Well, hey, and I, I guess there's only one way to find out. So here we are at uh, chapter four. <laughs> Did the Blazing Saddle theme just start playing in your head with uh, Gene Wilder's I think it did, yeah. I think it, I, um, I have my little box of popcorn right here. And... <laughs> All right, Gee. chapter four. <laughs> Gee, I hope it has a happy ending. Um, <laughs> well, right, because there's all this, like, clamor and, like, sounds of slaughter, of massacre. We have to I wonder what that could be coming from. Oh, the yeah, because something's, something's uh, fucking up the pirates in the temple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something's doing yeah. that. So I guess, I guess we'll have to find out what that is. Uh, chapter four. In the ghastly whiteness of dawn, a handful of tattered, blood-stained figures staggered through the trees and out onto the narrow beach. There were 44 of them, and they were a cowed, and demoralized band. With panic haste, they plunged into the water and began to wade toward the galley when a stern challenge brought them up standing. Etched against the whitening sky, they saw Conan the Sumerian standing in the bows, sword in hand, his black mane tossing in the dawn wind. Stand, he ordered. Come no nearer. What would you have, dogs? Let us come aboard, croaked a hairy rogue figuring fingering a bloody stump of ear. We'd be gone from this devil's island. The first man who tries to climb over the side, I'll split his skull, promised Conan. They were forty to one, but he held the whip hand, and the fight had been hammered out of them. Let us come aboard, good Conan, whined a red sash Samorian. 
glancing fearfully over his shoulder at the silent woods. We've been so mauled and bitten and scratched and rended, and we're so weary from fighting and running that none of us can lift a sword. Where's that dog, Aratus? demanded Conan. Dead? With the others. It was devils fell upon us. They were rending us to pieces before we could awake. A dozen good rovers died in their sleep. The ruins were full of flame-eyed shadows with tearing fangs and sharp talons. Aye, put in another corsair. They were the demons of the isle, which took the forms of molten images to befool us. Ishtar, we lay down to sleep among them. We are no cowards. We fought them as long as mortal man may strive against the powers of darkness. Then we broke away and left them tearing at the corpses like jackals. But surely they'll pursue us. Aye, let us come aboard, clamored a lean Shemite. Let us come in peace, and or we must come by sword in hand. And though you we be so weary, you will doubtless slay many of us, yet you cannot prevail against us many. Then I'll knock a hole in the planks and sink her, answered Conan grimly. A frantic chorus of expostulation rose, which Conan silenced with a lion-like roar. Dogs! Must I aid my enemies? Shall I let you come aboard and cut out my heart? Nay, nay, they cried eagerly. Friends, friends, Conan. I don't know why I'm doing that, sorry. <laughs> friends, Conan. We are thy comrades. We, are, we be all lusty rows together. We hate the king of Tehran, not each other. Their gaze hung on his brown, frowning face. Then if I am one of the Brotherhood, he grunted, the laws of the trade apply to me. And since I killed your chief in fair fight, then I am your captain. There was no dissent. The pirates were too cowed and battered to have any thought except a desire to get away from that island of fear. Conan's gaze sought out the bloodstained figure of the Corinthian. How, Ivanos, he challenged. You took my part once. Will you uphold my claims again? I, by Mitra, said the pirate, sensing the trend of feeling, was eager to ingratiate himself with Samarian, with the Samarian. He is right, lads. He is our lawful captain. A medley of acquiescence rose, lacking enthusiasm, perhaps, but with sincerity accentuated by the feel of the silent woods behind them, which might mask creeping ebony devils with red eyes and dripping talons. Swear by the hilt, Conan demanded. Forty-four sword hilts were lifted toward him, and forty-four voices blended in the Corsair's Oath of Allegiance. Conan grinned and sheathed his sword. Come aboard, my bold swashbucklers, and take the oars. He turned and lifted Olivia to her feet, from where she had crouched shielded by the gunwales. And what of me, sir? she asked. What would you? he countered, watching her narrowly. To go with you, wherever your path may lie, she cried, throwing her white arms around his bronze neck. The pirates, clambering over the rail, gasped in amazement. To sail a road of blood and slaughter, he questioned. This keel will stain the blue waves crimson wherever it plows. Aye, to sail with you on blue seas or red, she answered passionately. You are a barbarian, and I am an outcast denied by my people. We are both pariahs, wanderers of the earth. Oh, take me with you. With a gusty laugh, he lifted her to his fierce lips. I'll make you queen of the blue sea. Cast off there, dogs. We'll scorch King Ildis' pantaloons yet by crumb. And that is the end. Oh, okay. So, yeah. 
saw those statues, I guess. They're, they 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 weren't just statues. They were some weird. And isn't that kind of funny too, right? That that almost kind of ties back to our. That's almost a callback um, to our uh, AI. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Automatron, uh, automata, um, kind of episode too, right? Because there's these like statue guardian things that patrol an island. So a little bit Talos, a little bit uh, uh, the guardians of um, the Phaeacians. Yeah, geez, this, this this story really does have everything. This is like the perfect. <laughs> this is like the perfect kind of story. Um, okay, well, well, yeah, and um, I I know we were already like kind of gushing over Olivia and her character arc, and I guess this is like the the completion now. She's going to be a pirate queen and yeah. sail the sea and raid everywhere because she's like ah this uh, civilization. Uh, I'll stay right here on this pirate ship. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Oh, oh, Conan, Conan, Conan. I don't want to go alone. No, 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 no. Being a bango bungle. There's some, automat- there's some automatons in the jungle. So come on, let's go. <laughs> don't want no parrot statues. A rat is bullshit. Noise in my ears. <laughs> so no matter how they coax me, whoo, I'll be a Corsair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, um, hey, kids, remember Danny Kane? <laughs> no, you don't. But that song came out a couple years after this was published, which is really weird to think about. Whoa. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> That's true. I guess that is true. Yeah. Um. Okay. So... Man, okay, this is already uh, maybe a Conan-sized episode, a a Sumerian-sized episode, if you will. So we probably should wrap wrap things up here before too long. Yeah. But Mark, but but also thank you for like bringing both of these to my attention because, uh, yeah, I'm I'm still okay. I might just have to because it's the Conan Chronicles, right? That's the like massive reprint that has a bunch of maps and extra material and stuff. I just might have to. Um, spend some of my uh, goblin coins and uh, <laughs> get that anthology because I'm because um, I'm getting horned up for Conan. The one that I have is the Robert E. Howard, the coming of Conan the Sumerian. I think it's all of his Conan stories. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, I will do some research. I'll do some research out there and see what um, see what see what's out there. Uh, but uh, okay, so I guess final thoughts, closing thoughts between. The Frost Giant's Daughter, um, Iron Shadows in, in the Moon, uh, Favorite Parts, something like that. Um, Kids, don't go out into blizzards. It's still wintertime. Be safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always keep your wits about you. But remember, it's okay to sometimes sleep naked in the snow if you're out in the backyard. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just make sure, you know, have, have mom or dad or... Um, some like battle hardened Vanier. Just just like come and check on on you every once in a while. You should be good. Um, <laughs> Do you remember? I don't know if you were there for this one. It was at the old party house um, on Poncho, and I oh, yeah. we were partying, of course. And I fell asleep on the porch swing, and then it snowed, and there was about eight inches of snow that covered me. 
I just remember, like, it snowed like a motherfucker, and I think it was like, I don't know how it happened, but I woke up at about three and there were still people partying, and it just dumped snow. And I walked That's into the house covered in snow, and they're like, what happened? It's like, they're like, Mark, you went to bed. Yeah, I think I fell asleep out on the swing. Shit, dude, you okay? Yeah, beer me. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is Colorado weather for you. That could literally happen any time of the year. Just get a freak snowstorm. Um, <laughs> dumps eight inches of snow. And then, and yeah, just pop pop right up. And I don't believe I was there for that night, but I definitely heard heard the stories of uh, Marky Stardust, the the, the Sumerian, <laughs> who fell asleep with a with a literal blanket of snow. Um, <laughs> um yeah, and I, I guess right. So what my uh, I I always love cause, okay cause, so. The, the only ones I've read so far are the, the Elfin's Tower and these two. Um, and mm-hmm. I already love the sort of secondary characters where like Conan seems to be the like kind of static standard figure. He's super buff. He's super smart. People underestimate him and he just comes out on top constantly. Um, but yeah, like meeting some of the other characters like his uh, fellow burglar buddy um, in the Elfin's Tower who unfortunately doesn't make it out. Um, oh, um, he, yeah, Taurus of Nemedia, yeah. Yes, yeah. He's a fun character. And uh, then, um, uh, oh, the actual Frost daughter, uh, uh, Atil, uh, Atia? What was her Atala. name again? Atala. Atala, right. Yeah, her and Olivia um, and this piratey crew, Ivanos. Um, so, yeah. I even I'm, like I, uh, Sergius of Croshaw, the one that he, uh, Big yeah. Belly. I even like him. He gets a yeah. little bit. He yeah, gets he a couple lines. Belly. He's like, hey, fuck you, Conan. And Conan's like, fuck yeah. you, fuck me, dog. Let's go. <laughs> like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm loving meeting some of these other characters. And it sounds like maybe come uh, Conan Literature Corner number three, um, the Witch of the Black Coast. Is that it? Uh, Queen of the Black. No, the oh. next one we're doing is uh, a witch shall be born. I just I, I have okay. made that. Oh, that's the. Okay. Oh God, that one's like not the best, but that's the. I don't know. The, okay, every, okay, okay, so no, like wait. I have the problem. Every Conan story we read, we, we read, you'll hear me go, "Oh fuck, this is my favorite story." Like, yeah. <laughs> but really, it boils down to Queen of the Black Coast and or a witch hmm. shall be born. Also, okay. both of which have very really awesome female antagonists and protagonists. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So uh, I guess yeah, kind of on that note there, um, listeners, tell us, tell us what, what you think. Um, if you are familiar with the Conan mythos, um, what are your thoughts about these stories? What are your insights? Um, if you're new to them, what what are your thoughts? What are your insights? Um, we've we've already talked about like some of these badass uh drawings and illustrations that have come along here so send us send us your own because we know that we have talented and artistic listeners we have proof uh so yeah give us give us your versions of um of what these stories look like maybe draw maybe draw mark as olivia and me as Conan, or me as Atala, and Mark as Conan. Whatever. Go crazy. Uh, we want to see your art. <laughs> I want you to draw me putting my arms, my light, lithe arms around Josh's neck as he triumphantly carries me out of the jungle. 
Uh, <laughs> See, officer and a gentleman, gentleman's me out of a primordial jungle. <laughs> right. So we understand that quality takes time. So get to drawing, but as soon as that finish, but but as soon as that's finished, uh, send it our way. Uh, you can email us at Two Wizards Podcast uh, at uh, Gmail. Find us on Twitter at Two Wizards Pod C One. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Two Wizards Podcast. Uh, and, and you better believe that we will be displaying any and all fan art uh, that we get in the course of both this episode uh, and ones from the past and ones from the future. Find me on Twitter, uh, at Plaid Barbarian. Uh, I'm doing, again, just mostly the cat picture thing, but that's that's what social media is all about, baby. It ain't much, but it's honest work. <laughs> uh, and then, Mark, we have some other... Uh, uh, wonderful things going on under the High Hammock Studios uh, banner. What are some of these yeah. things? Um, I can't div- divulge too much, but mayhap just another war party has joined our war party, and Ooh. we got another uh, group of tents, so to speak. But if you don't like loosely veiled Howardy metaphors, um, you can also go check me out on the Dangle Podcast, a weekly King of the Hill retrospective rewatch with my good buddy Johnny, where we take two episodes of the beloved adult animation classic King of the Hill and bitch about it. Uh, this week we did Fish and Wildlife and uh, Cheer Factor. And heads up, Johnny and I are angry, so maybe don't check that one out. Or if you're coming off of this and going, man, I like it when Mark gets all horned up for Barbarian Fury. Well, good news, gang, because, boy, there's some Barbarian Fury this week. Um, Yeah, to that end, I think I said find me at Marky Stardust. I don't remember. Um, Also, real quick shout-out. There's a band called Arkham Witch. They do Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard-inspired music. And I am probably ending this recording with their cover, or with their song, Iron Shadows in the Moon, which is literally they wrote a song about this story. Oh my god, they're the best. They're awesome. Um, I don't even know if they're around anymore, but fuck, they're great. Go check them out. They are on Spotify, just like us. Uh, give us that five-star rating. It helps us out a lot. Mm, and yeah. what do you guys think? Yeah, Josh, you pretty much knocked it out of the park with that, so I'm not going to you know, just copy and paste what you said again. Um, thank you for listening, guys. We love yeah. you all, everyone. If you need somebody to carry you out of a primordial jungle, I am your Huckleberry. And if you can't get a hold of me, I'm sure Josh will be much obliged to help you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because that's what we do. Whether whether we are uh, uh, wearied from fighting uh, Nords in the snow, or after we've been uh, waiting patiently in a marsh for like weeks on end, eating dead like raw rats. Um, uh, <laughs> wizards help wizards. Barbarians help barbarians. Homies help homies. Um, and that's what we are here for. Uh, so thank for. you. So thank you once again. My name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I'm a wizard. We love you all, everyone. Take care. He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed...